Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You know, I was thinking about this on my way in today, Jimmy Cook. What's that? This might be, and I, there are a couple of different periods in which I think that we say this over the course of the year. And maybe right now is a little premature. Maybe we need to wait like probably two more weeks. But this is, we're kind of right on the cusp in my opinion. And I love, as I mentioned yesterday, I love summertime. Who doesn't? I love everything about it. I love the weather. I love the late, all of it. I mentioned it all yesterday. But in terms of the sports calendar, there are a couple of different periods where things overlap and it becomes crowded and and pretty darn cool. In terms of the sports calendar, is this the, are we entering the best time? And by that, I mean NFL, you're starting to figure out who's who. College football usually is right on the cusp right now of like separation Saturday of somebody somebody in the next three weeks. Mark my words. Between Florida State, Georgia, um, Oregon, Washington. Who's another one that I'm missing that's like right there in the mix? Ohio State, Penn State. I mean, obviously they face each other, but... Somebody's going to get upset out of the wild blue where an unranked team is going to go in and beat them and they're going to get eliminated from the college football playoff. That's going to happen in the next three weeks. Maybe like the next 10 days, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen, right? Well, we know for a fact. I didn't even mention Michigan, I don't think. (laughs) Michigan, Michigan. it's a given because Michigan is going to get stunned by the Indiana Fighting Hoosiers. Has anybody warned the big house? Has anybody (laughs) warned them? We sent a little declaration of war Well, the the lower third didn't have their hearing aids in, and so no one is aware, (laughs) right? It's not in the printed newspaper yet that they go out and get on the front porch. But you have that. You have college football. You have the NFL. And then, of course, even though it is probably even a niche sport, And this is the one thing that potentially would be disappointing for me. If, like right now, the playoffs, you got, I'm talking about Major League Baseball, which is pretty niche compared to what it was, you know, of yesteryear. But the one thing that would be, here's why I don't want Arizona to go to the NLCS or the World Series. Here's why I don't want Miami, the Marlins, who are a cool story. Here's why I don't want the Marlins to go to the championship series or the World Series. You're okay with them getting to the DS, but you'll draw it short of championship series and World Series? Okay, all right. Here's why I don't want the Tampa Rays going. Or for that matter, the Rangers. And here's why I wouldn't want the Toronto Blue Jays there. You want to know why? Why? Twofold. Number one. Any franchise that changes their uniform like every two years, the only franchises that do that are franchises that have no history, no brand, and nothing to identify with. The Marlins have been, I mean, they've won two World Series in the last however many years, but 
they're always like fire sale teams. Only been around for like 31 years in one yeah, they're, they're changing, yeah, they're changing their logo and their mascot and their cut, not their mascot, but their colors. Sell you know, everything after a big postseason yeah. run. Yep, yep. But the biggest reason is this. When I think of postseason dramatic October baseball, World Series, Championship Series, pennant on the line, all that. I think of some pitcher on the mound, some batter in the box, tension in the air that you can feel. And every time they scan the crowd, people are wearing hoodies, they've got gloves on, and you can't tell whether they're huddled together because they're praying to the baseball gods for the right pitch or because they're actually freezing. And that, like, crisp autumn air that can be cut with the tension of baseball is the magic of October. That's the magic of the postseason. People in in shorts and flip-flops hanging out by pools, (laughs) I I don't need that. I I love the Blue Jays. I grew up a Blue Jays. That was my American League team. I kind of grew up Lloyd Mosby and Jesse Barfield. And, and, you know, I mean, I know exactly where the stadium was, where they played. I I walked home, you know, from exhibition place, all that. So if you. But now they're playing indoors. If it's it's even the remote bit chilly, they're playing indoors. Come on. So if you change your uniforms a ton because you don't have tradition or if you're a warm weather team that's repping flip-flops and everything in October, lying to the American public about what October baseball is. You don't belong in the ALCS or NLCS. Correct. Yeah, okay, that's so make sure, so yeah, make sure that's I'm following. Right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, good afternoon to you. It is a, what is today, Wednesday, Jimmy? It is Wednesday. It's a Wednesday. This is Quarry Company here on 93.5-1075 The Fan. The big news, obviously, is not that of uh, people walking around outside swimming pools watching Major League Baseball, or in the case of the Tampa Rays, 9,000 people showing up to watch them Tough take look. on the Texas Rangers. Tough look. The bigger news is the fact that the Colts, uh, are not practicing today. That was scheduled. It's a walkthrough. But when they're walking through, and when I think of walkthroughs, I think of like the, the, the images you see of teams like in a banquet hall in a hotel on the road, and they're going through their one last preparation. In that walkthrough, though, what we do know is that when Shane Steichen is showing Anthony, they're lined up, and Anthony Richardson's sitting there, and he's like, okay, now, Anthony, on this play – um, when you drop back and you, you, we're gonna we're gonna run a fake handoff, there is a new face that Anthony Richardson has to familiarize himself with in terms of that that he's walking through in the backfield. Theoretically speaking, correct, Jimmy? Yes, that would be Twiggy, right? Yes, indeed. Which, by the way, an update on that front in terms of we were pondering yesterday with Stephen Holder when Twiggy, aka Jonathan Taylor, might be. Available to the media. Uh, this from one of our favorites in James Boyd at Romeoville Kid. John Taylor not speaking to the media today. Team will keep them posted on his media availability going forward. He doesn't have to speak to the media until he's activated and joins the official 53-man roster. So that's a note. He's a nice guy. I, I You know, it is odd to see this like... It's not a stand-up with the media by any stretch. And, and let me make clear. I totally understand... The fan perspective of, oh, cry me a river, guys. He's not talking to you guys. I guess you sound butthurt. It has nothing to do with that. I have always said, and I realize now, in the era of social media, the the media forever represented the middleman between the athlete and the fan. We were the liaison. I have always felt, Jimmy, when I would cover games like for Channel 6, and when I was doing, you know, 
live post-game interviews or whatever else. I always thought that it was my responsibility with that credential to ask the athlete or to find out the answer is a better way of saying it. To find out the answer to the question that I assume people were yelling at their television during the game. What in the world were you thinking with that pass? Then it's my job. It's a responsibility of having that pass to go in. Well, what were you thinking about it? And <laughs> find to, that answer. Right. right to, exactly. to the quarterback, what happened on that play? You know, whatever. I, I get that in today's world, these guys can all post to their own website or their own Twitter account or whatever else. But that still is a relatively esoteric audience. In terms of getting a message out to the masses, the electronic media is still the liaison for the yeah. most part for most people. And so... But we're at a point with this situation, Jake, and I get why he hasn't, but to the point about people taking shots at us, taking shots at the media of, oh, boo-hoo, he doesn't want to talk to you. I don't care if he doesn't talk to us. I just want to hear him talk. At this point, I don't even care if it's in the confines of an Instagram live at his house. Like, I just want to hear his thoughts on where things are at, where his outlook is with the Colts right now. Does he plan on playing out the season? Does he still want to trade? Like, I I just want to get his take on it because all we've heard is the other side of the coin of great conversation with Jonathan Taylor that have come from the Colts. My thing has always been this as well. When athletes say, it's always funny to me. I don't read what you guys say. I don't look at what you guys say. I don't, I don't I don't. hear what you say. And then they win a game where everybody at the station picked Baltimore to win and the players immediately are retweeting it. I thought you don't read it, right? But that's cool. I get it. I understand yeah. that. We went over that yesterday. But at the same time, I, you know, when, when you hear an athlete say, like, you guys, and they're probably right. In Jonathan Taylor's mind, he's probably like, those two guys on that company – they have no. They don't know exactly what's taking place, or Zach Kiefer doesn't know exactly what's taking place, or Stephen Holder doesn't know exactly what's taking place, or you know, whoever. Right? Angela doesn't know exactly what's taking place. That that may be the case, and if it is the case, then there's an easy way to let us know exactly what's taking place, right? Yes. Otherwise, you are leaving it to us to interpret, and read tea leaves and that's what's gonna you know we're do, we do it to the best of our ability if that's what you give us that's all you give us we'll do it i'd much rather it be a more straightforward process where we're analyzing real quotes but if i need to put the tinfoil hat on and read some tea leaves i'm not afraid by the way speaking of uh if that's what you're going to give us that sound you hear folks it's a great in sound. the background yeah i would like to thank kevin bowen mark dykton not surprisingly at all yet to come through <laughs> But at the beginning of the baseball season, <laughs> when I was doing the morning show with Kevin and Mark, um, we came up with a game where each of us, we went on to one of the, I, I'm assuming it was DraftKings, we went on there and found the, we looked, the rule was any Major League Baseball team who's over under for win totals was below 500, or, or below like 75 or 80 or whatever. Right. I mean, obviously those are both below 500, but... Uh, there was a certain threshold, and I can't remember what. But there were like 15 teams to choose from. And we each got to choose a team that we felt had the chance of winning the most games of, of the teams that were drafted. And, Eddie, I believe you partook in this. Uh, you, you joined in late on the game. but you know, I did. We said that's fine. Uh, you took Pittsburgh, I believe, right? No. Okay, no. hold on. JMV took the Kansas City Royals. Somebody took Pittsburgh. Who did you have, Eddie? Did you have the Reds? Nope. I had Miami. Or no, Jimmy had Miami. Yeah, I had, I had the Marlins. I had Colorado. I had the Marlins. Uh, how many games did the Marlins win? 
Uh, they made the playoffs. Can't remember how many. Ninety less than the Orioles. Okay, so I took the the Baltimore 84. Orioles. By the way, does that mean that I owe you a six pack too? Because I can go I make that happen. I think the six pack was only for the morning guys. To be honest, okay. You guys, right. you guys are above. okay. All right, Kevin Bowen delivering. There it is for the YouTube chat, and thank you to those watching on the YouTube chat. Uh, my my six pack of Pat's Blue Ribbon. We, we are still. We, we've only been talking about it for three years now. We're, would you Would you guys like to come to my PBR party? Absolutely. Oh yes. I'd love I think, to. We've been working on this forever, and I think finally I'm just going to say, let's just do it. I've got a couple places in town I've scouted out that have PBR on draft. I know exactly where they are. I'm just going to select some date and then just send out a thing saying, it's my PBR party. You come out. Um, game plan would be like, we, basically everybody just gets a pint of PBR and we stand around and talk sports. Oh, Diet Coke, perfectly sufficient. If, yeah. you, if you don't want to drink for whatever reason, I totally get that. I got no issue with that. Um but you got to have a PBR. It's a PBR party. Yeah. You just name the date. We'll be there. Okay. How about like at four? I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would work, right? I mean, we can, we got quick legs. We got wheels. We can make it happen. Uh, Chad Buchanan, by the way, who is the general manager of the Indiana Pacers, going to be live in studio at 2 o'clock. A lot of questions for Chad Buchanan about the roster, about the Buddy Heald situation, a lot of what we talked about yesterday. And then you got Eric back on the line, right, Eddie? I did. We've got Eric Edholm at 1 o'clock of NFL.com. Did he do his power rankings? I think so. And where are the Colts now? He had them uh, 29th before, right? 28th or 29th. Well, let me do the he math. He caught a lot quick. of heat because he had them below the Houston Texans. They lost to the Rams. So let's see. Do we think they went up, down, or stay the same? Well, you know. They could have gone sideways. We got really well upset on behalf of the people of Indianapolis for the fact that on NFL.com, he had the Colts below the Houston Texans. And the Colts had beaten the Texans. And. He admittedly, to use a Ted Lasso term, took a lot of gruff for that. But you kind of look at it now and you go, you know what? I mean, Houston played well again. Houston does feel like – I'm not saying the Colts feel like they're not doing this, but Houston feels like they might also be finding a little bit of um, you know, competence about them. Eddie has a funny look on his face. Do you have the rankings in front of you, Eddie? They went up in his latest power So rankings. they were 28 last week, right? Yeah. I'm going to say they are now 25. Jimmy? I cheated. 26th. Now, where are the Houston Texans? The Houston Texans? Scavenging. I'm searching, searching. 15th. So they went up eight. 15? Yeah. Well, this guy's totally hallucinating. All right, the top five. You ready? Because I'm assuming Miami he had up there and they have fallen. So I'm going to say that number one he has as the San Francisco 49ers. Mm-hmm. Number two he has as the... Uh, well, they have a loss. Buffalo Bills? No. Buffalo has lost. I know. That's why I said they have yeah. a loss. Um, oh, the Philadelphia Eagles? No. Go ahead, Jimmy. Your guess? Yeah, my boys. Captivating. Right? Oh, yeah, Chiefs. Kansas City. Yeah. Chiefs. Uh, and then Philly, Buffalo, and, you know, there's got to be a variation of those other teams I mentioned, right? Three, four, and five, six. Buffalo, three. Philly, four. Dallas, five. Yeah. Dallas defensively has looked really good. Offensively, there's still some question marks, I think, just in terms of consistency. But there's no doubt that defensively they are really, really good. Uh, what did you guys do last night? Anything fun, Jimmy? Three-year anniversary for me and one Haley Cook. So we went over to season really? 52 at uh, Keystone at the Crossing, and we uh, <laughs> juggle with world-renowned uh, geographer Todd Meyer yesterday. That's 17 and a third seasons per year, by the way. It is? Yeah. How about that? There you go. Uh, apparently, year three is leather, so we each buy each other a pair oh. of shoes. 
Well, yeah, I know. I understand. I understand. I understand. Not near as exciting as that could have been. I understand. Uh, what kind of shoes did you uh, acquire in this? I got a pair of Air Force Ones. Okay. You know, I have a pair of retro Jordan threes that I always wanted. Those are the, and I'm not a Michael Jordan or a Bulls fan. I mean, I like you know, obviously, I don't dislike Michael Jordan, but you get what I'm saying. Sure. I was a Pacer fan, right? But when Jordan. The, the famous 88, 87, 88 or 89, I think it's 88 dunk contest, 89 season, where he does the in Chicago Stadium, the split of the legs. Those shoes that he's wearing, which are Jordan 3s, I always thought were the best ones. I always wanted a pair. My dad was one of those that was like, I'm not paying more than 70 bucks for a pair of shoes. You can, you can pay them on your own if you want. Never did do so. So as an adult, the two pair of shoes that I've always wanted that I bought for myself were a pair of Bo Jackson cross trainers. Nice. Most uncomfortable shoes ever, right? And then a pair of Jordan 3s, and I've never taking them out of the box when did you acquire them i got them for christmas like two years ago i mean they're like three hundred dollars oh, wow. okay, nice. well, yeah, i just them. did i didn't know if it was yeah. like a early on goal or no, just no, present no. or what so i got them i bought the jordans for myself i mean the excuse me the bo jackson's for myself i got the jordans as a gift and i the box itself is awesome and they they like sit on display in the, which is really weird and i'm way too old for that but i just don't have the heart to like wear them right because okay they are super cool though um and then what shoes did you get her it's like a I didn't recognize the brand. We started Prada? in Nordstrom's. No, it was like it, Gucci. It was not to be clear. Echo. <laughs> it was it was Louis not Vuitton? it was not Engabana. It was not Engabana, but it was Dolce something. I don't know okay. what I don't know what it was though. Okay. But you don't know were they expensive? No, uh, in fact, she got a great deal on them at Nordstrom to the point that they were about the same for her to get two pairs as it was for me to get one of she the got two ones. She did get two. Okay, well, it's yeah. like a six-year anniversary. No, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Fair now. enough. Double so wait, now. whose purchase came first, yours or hers? Hers. We okay. basically we basically just decided like we were going to walk around Keystone at the Crossing, and if we found something that we liked, we'd go there. So and you then... buy something, so each year does have a representation, right? Well, right, but I wasn't going to play around with that. What was your Todd two? Meyer, I have no idea. To be clear, I don't do that, but Todd Meyer shared with me that year three was leather, and it just so happened that she wanted a pair of shoes. Are you sure that Todd wasn't just trying to send you to Spencer Gifts? Well, he might have been, but then I saw him do the Google search, so... I, well, he was searching for South Detroit, and once he realized he couldn't find it, he decided he needed to find some leather goods, right? Uh, I watched a little of the Major League Baseball playoffs last night. Um, and I, Which pretty, game? I, I kind of flipped around, to be honest with Same. you. I caught the very end of the Brewers game. Um, I watched a fair amount of the Phillies game. And, you know, I'll tell you something that's interesting. I looked up last night. Bryce Harper, who I think is I, – I, I mean – Bryce Harper's what, a top five player in Major League Baseball? Yeah, that's fair. So, and I remember when Bryce Harper was a free agent and, you know, trying to fit, you know, everybody and their brother is wondering where Bryce Harper's going to go once he's done in Washington, right? And I remember having a conversation with Will Carroll about it and we were, you know, speculating where he could end up. And of course, he ends up in Philly. And he signs this deal that even at the time I think was a little underwhelming for what was anticipated that he would sign, but he makes twenty six million a year. And then I and this just shows Major League Baseball, you're playing what one hundred and sixty two games a year. Yep, virtually every other day. I know it's not as physical as football, and it's basketball. You have half as many games. Bryce Harper would be the fourth highest paid player on the 76ers if he were to go across the street and play for the NBA franchise in Philadelphia as opposed to the baseball franchise. And yet he is one of the top 
probably at this point what 10 paid players in major league baseball probably i mean i you know the nfl it's it's amazing i mean when you look at like i was looking at the eagles roster and the contracts of the philadelphia eagles and i mean you have guys the vast majority of them this is why philly is smart the eagles the way they've done it the way that they've kind of stacked contracts and this is the this is the challenge in the nfl in terms of the salary cap figuring out where to maneuver the money and you know the eagles have a lot of guys minimum salary guys and i've always looked at like the bill polian approach the bill polian approach i I always felt like bill polian got a lot of credit understandably and rightly so for late round draft picks like what was the thing about bill polian people would always say Oh, he 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 was a brilliant drafter because you get Antoine Bethea in the eighth round and Gary Brackett was undrafted and you know just in terms of you know Jason David and all these guys that were that were making plays that were later round draft picks and while I don't disagree with that and while he was good at finding those players there also needs to be the understanding that the model that the Colts did then and I think it to an extent is the model the Colts do now was to basically, and I'm throwing out numbers as an approximate, not as a fact, but basically they put like 60% of their payroll into 10% of their players. So by the time you paid Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne and Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis, another late round pick, then you had to round out your roster with minimum salary guys. So was it that the Colts were brilliant in finding guys in the seventh, eighth round that were contributors for them? Or was it such that their financial situation was based upon the fact that they had to have seventh and eighth round guys starting in that position because they couldn't afford any otherwise? So, well, this guy's amazing because look how, look how incredible it was that he drafted an eighth rounder that's able to play 16 games for him. Well, he needed an eighth rounder. They could have drafted Eddie Garrison in the eighth round, and he was going to play 16 games because they had to, from a salary cap right. standpoint, do it that way. And I think Chris Ballard has kind of figured that out. And I think that's why you see Chris Ballard so coveting draft picks because he knows if he's going to invest, as he already has done, big money in Quentin Nelson, if he's going to invest big money in – Shaq Leonard, then he needs to make sure that he has as many contributing key players as possible, either in first deal contracts or positions of draft that are paying lower so that he can create the cap space to get himself and eventually pay long-term and lock-in an Anthony Richardson or an Alec Pierce or a Michael Pittman. And then the Jonathan Taylor situation comes into play, which is do you, how much do you now commit to that knowing that you have those other young players that if an EJ Speed or a Dio or a Quiddy Pay really grows and molds, now you've got to decide if they get into your top 10%. Right. It's just the, the the finances of the NFL, I think that we overlook the challenge in the, the, the mathematics of it and the business finance of it, and we think that like it's just a matter of your fantasy team, right? No, it's a very complicated map to try to navigate as a general manager. And by the way, going back to Mike Trout. Not unlike the map of South Detroit, which we not, have coworkers that can't navigate not, at all. Not unlike that map either. Bryce Harper, not a top 10 paid player yearly this season. Highest paid player in Major League Baseball is who? 
It's got to be. It's if it's not Mike Trout, there's something wrong. But it's, I don't a, think it's, it a, it's a tie between Scherzer and Verlander in terms of salary this year. Okay, I can see that. Pitchers, I guess I can see, right? Uh, Aaron Judge leads position players as the third uh, place highest paid guy for this season. Anthony Rendon of the Angels. Mike Trout is fifth. Bryce I, Harper, 19th. I'm, I'm going to make you a wager here. You sure. ready? Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to bet you that if we, and I wouldn't do this because it's it, it's it would be taking our listeners and making them look foolish, which is not my intention. But I would, I would support them in this notion. I would bet you that if we randomly opened the phone lines right now and offered a prize and had a random person call in and you had before you the seventh, or let's say the eighth, ninth, and tenth highest paid players in Major League Baseball, I will bet you that the caller would not be able to tell you the, the franchise for all three. That's Are we giving them the name? Yes. Or they got to f- yes. We're going to give them the player's name. If you give them the name, mm. I would bet you that, and I, I'm not, I don't even know the names that, that are before you. Yeah. I don't even know the names. You said Bryce Harper's what? 19th. Okay. I would bet you that the average sports fan, if given the name of the 8th, ninth, and 10th highest paid player in Major League Baseball, would not be able to go three for three on naming the franchise. And that's the problem with Major League Baseball today. Yeah. The... I've said it on the radio a thousand times. Part of it is childhood, I realize. Part, of, But a big part of it at one time was this week in baseball and baseball cards. I'll bet neither of you guys collected baseball cards, right? I had I collected basketball cards, not okay, really baseball exactly, cards. Exactly, right? Yeah. Baseball cards, when they were at their apex, everybody knew what team guys played. First off, free agency was different, but... But baseball marketed their stars via those auxiliary vehicles. This week in baseball, the baseball bunch, um, ba- trading baseball cards, etc. In little league, you played for. In little league, you played for. I mean, I can tell you right now. I played for the White Sox. I played for the Tigers. I played for the Indians. I played for the Giants. I played for the Red Sox, and I played for the Cubs each year. Right now kids when they're playing for it and so as a result of that like you kind of looked at those teams to see now when kids play for a team who do they play for they play for the indie bulls the 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 the, fl- the fisher speech <laughs> flame you know whatever right, right. they're playing traveling baseball right. they're, they're they're switching teams just like the big league players are and, and major league baseball does not promote its stars bryce harper's playing last night in the playoffs he's one of the most electric players in the last 25 years in major league baseball he's basically the national league mike trout and yet how many people even knew that game was on? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it it speaks to the larger issue of baseball trying to correct itself in terms of pop- popularity, in terms of interest this generation. Look no further than the rule changes that they instituted to start the year with bigger bases to allow more stealing and the pitch clock, like which all appeared to at least have a, a minor bump in right. interest. And if you were a subscriber to MLB.tv, they always have in-house ads. They play all the time in between innings, and constantly it'd be baseball is so more, so much more exciting now. It's back, and they'd be highlighting the bases and the pitch and everything. And I haven't looked fully in the data to see if it's really had a significant impact, but it's done enough where I've talked to friends that weren't big baseball fans that are like, I could actually watch a baseball game now and not lose four hours of my day. It's still like two and a half to three, but it's it's better. Well, and I'll tell you what. Soccer has been the sport of the future since 1978, right? Yeah. And I still stand by 
and will die on the hill that that I don't know that it ever joins into the stratosphere of NFL, NBA, and, and to, to an extent, Major League Baseball. But it is having an impact, and it's having an impact right now on the team that we're going to talk about that's going through walkthroughs and not practice today talking about the Colts. We'll let you know what the Colts are doing today, and we'll let you know exactly how the sport of the future since 1978 impacts them. I'll tell you all that on the other side. Again, Chad Buchanan, Pacers General Manager, 2 o'clock today. Querying Company on a Wednesday on the fan whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you uh hey jake baseball card collectors are still around i i don't dispute that there are card shops but at one time literally you walked into like any little league that had the concession stand and at the concession stand they had snow cones they had walking tacos and they had astro pops and they had boxes of baseball cards and literally the vast majority of 9 10 11 year old kids had baseball cards and they wanted to trade i've got this player for that player and they knew all of the rosters and yeah, there are probably kids now whose dads are big baseball fans that collect baseball cards, but it is hardly the mainstream norm for a kid like it was at one time, which I think has a big part of why baseball's overall recognition level has waned. And in addition to that, like the little league that I played in, and I'm a you know it was a long time ago, obviously, but the little league I played in on the north side of Indianapolis doesn't even exist anymore. But yet you go into like Hamilton County, the vast majority of the, there are a lot of kids playing baseball, but they're playing travel baseball. They're not playing for like their local little league practice every Tuesday and then go to the ball diamond on Saturday wearing their hat for the team they play for. It's just different. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just different. And it doesn't have, I don't think, the direct connection to the bigs like it did at one time. But I was talking about soccer and forever, Jimmy, in my lifetime. I've heard about how soccer is the the rising sport. Pele signed with the New York Cosmos. This is the last step. Soccer is here to, to stay. David Beckham signs in L.A. This is the last step. Soccer is here to stay. I don't dispute soccer's popularity. I do, you know, it is not still in the category of the others. But it is obviously, especially with people 35 and under, it is a very relevant sport. Primarily of European teams, but it is still a very relevant sport. I think the the English Premier League is more popular than the MLS, even in the it, United it's States. It's not close. Premier League mornings, people have little like different meetups that they'll have at different right. local bars. Chatham, Chatham Tap, Tap is one. Yeah. Union, Union Jack. Jack yeah. Right. Like th- those are all over. That's just Indiana. Those are all over the country. Little meetups. And if you go to like some of the websites of Premier League teams, you can look for where your local close right. meetup would be. So the one, in, the biggest impact that soccer has had is the following. We just talked about the pitch count in Major League Baseball, right? Yeah. The clock, the pitch clock. Yep. We live in a world where everything is faster. People want immediate, fast results. Nobody wants to go look at a card catalog. I can find it on the internet. I'll Google it, right? I don't don't need to wait until the 11 o'clock news to find out what happened in the town hall meeting. I'll just go on Twitter and find out the person that's sending me a live update. Somebody just told me there's a house fire and and on this, you know, whatever on the west side. 
Well, let me do a quick search on my on the Citizen app. There it is, right? That's the world we live in. Instantaneous Soccer, knowledge. Yep. Correct. Soccer or football had that kind of corner ahead of time because every game match, whichever you want to call it, you know pretty much exactly how long it's going to be. You know, hey, do you want to go watch the game? Who's playing? Everton and Tottenham. What time? 7 a.m. Okay, good. I know it'll be done by 9.15. I know for a fact it'll be done at 9.15. So I can plan my day. Hey, you want to go watch the game on Sunday? Who? Uh, Chiefs are playing the Rams. What time? Game kicks at 1. Well, I've got to, I got to pick up somebody at the airport at 3. Well, I... It might be over. I, I don't know. It might be in the third quarter. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, then I don't think I can commit to it. Not going to be able to commit to that. Right. So, what did you see now? What you now see is the red zone, right? Tired of waiting all day long to see if there's scoring taking place? The witching hour, Jason. Go to the red zone. It's a magical place. Watch the red zone, mm-hmm. and it's nonstop scoring, and there's no waiting for things to happen. Eddie knows what I'm talking about. You love a little red zone. Come on now. Sure. You don't love red zone? Sure. Oh, man. It's like Reels Network. I don't get to experience it. Yeah, it's fair. It used to be that you'd watch Cops. Now you watch Reels Network to see it live. But if there's nothing happening and a guy's not mouthing off to a cop within 30 seconds, they're like, all right, we're leaving that. We're going to go now to Shreveport. There's a guy getting pulled over. Let's see what's happening in Shreveport. That guy looks too nice and too law-abiding. Okay, we're now, hold on just a second. Now we're going to take you to Beach Grove, Indiana. Well, we know all hell's breaking loose there. Lock it in. That's the world we live in. And soccer has affected, to, in my, to my feeling, soccer is starting to impact the Colts games. Because when you go to Colts games for a long time, I think we Colts games are long events, and there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of dead time. And the Colts figured that out, and so now they've got stuff going on the entire time. Literally, it's like when, you, when you're trying to take a baby picture, and like the baby's getting restless, and, da, 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 and they're like, and so you got the guy over here doing clown stuff, and the guy holding up stuffed animals, and a million different things going on to draw and hold your attention. And that's what the culture that's what the NFL is having to do. And then from a television standpoint, they're 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 putting out things like the red zone to keep you involved and invested because people are now becoming conditioned to shorter instantaneous result or just a, a, a shorter committed time span and soccer has it mastered. That's what Jimmy, I'm convinced. A huge part of soccer's popularity is based on the fact that people know exactly how much time they have to invest going into it. And that's a that is a I mean you you follow who you're a soccer fan right Yeah I mean I I follow a ton of Premier League and obviously I've been on the train on the MLS side with Messi being there because one of the greatest players of all time and be able to have him here has been fun to be able to watch But yeah you, you sit down and you can map it out in such a way you can't with the other sports Correct you know, Okay game time is going to be at seven Okay I'll probably be done by eight forty five at the latest Like you can you can get a clear indication of how long you're going to be there Eddie are you a soccer fan Nope Not at all too boring (laughs) there's an irony in the way you answered that by the way (laughs) for what it's worth by the way uh nine inning mlb game two hours 40 minutes average time this past year 24 minute drop from 2022 lowest since 1985 okay how long is a standard nfl game i would say at least three and a half right that's and again, that's one of the things that the NFL, I, honestly, 
that's why Red Zone came about. Three hours, 12 minutes average time. That's, it's, and that, that doesn't include going in, coming out. I mean, it's a pretty big chunk of your day, right? Nobody talks about that when it comes to the NFL. What's that? The average, average length of a game. How long it takes. That's the first thing everyone turns towards when it comes to the MLB. Right. No, you're right. There's a, there's well, a lot of like, downtime during an NFL game. But there's a misconception as well that, oh, it's constant action within an NFL game. That's why you don't have that narrative as much with baseball because people are like, oh, they're standing around. When there is... Okay. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's no, why no. it doesn't happen. There are in-play plays right. in baseball sure. that require a vast majority of the time three participants to be moving on any in play play in the nfl everyone on the field is moving right there's nobody that just stands still so to your point um but the colts today not necessarily moving but doing a walkthrough jonathan taylor is uh, off of the physically unable to perform list i guess the question becomes this jimmy that we will talk about with the jonathan taylor situation over the course of the week and i don't know that we're going to know immediate results on this we are certainly going to be told results that are probably whether they are true or not i can tell you there's probably a very definitive answer off the front of like oh i, I could tell you right now that you know that's not going to be the case where question is does this situation have impact on the rest of the roster does it have impact on the solidarity of the team the just the cohesiveness the way that they're going to play I, you know i don't know that we will know the answer for that right but in the moment we won't like the carson Wentz situation in the moment it was like this is not a distraction it's not it's not a distraction. The Carson Wentz drama, and I, I mean, it was a weird time. It was COVID. There's a million things going on. I don't want to get into the vaccine talk because, A, it's been exhausted, and B, people listening that have their opinion on the vaccine, I'm certainly not going to change their opinion one way or the other. And I totally respect that. You also I had totally hard knocks going that. on concurrently with that. Correct. There was a lot going on, yes. right? Yeah. There was a lot going on, and in the moment it was, no, we're good. We're good. And then after the fact, it starts to come out, yeah, actually, we weren't so good. And even more interesting was whenever you – like there would be like 10 guys in that locker room that were like, there was no distraction that year at all. Carson Wentz was great. Great teammate. Great guy. And I do think he's probably a pretty good guy. No distraction. Then there are other guys that are like, I don't know about that. Well, and it's you can only say definitively that something is not a distraction when you have complete solidarity of thought that it was not a distraction. All it, you get five or ten guys in there, they're like, no, it was a distraction. Okay, then it was because you have division now, right? You don't have everybody all in. And that situation was one that lended itself towards it going wayward, right? Yes. I will say, for me... If the Colts are three and one right now and he plays, the narrative, right or wrong, could shift if they fall into a tumultuous slide that, oh, ever since Jonathan Taylor's been back, look, the team's falling apart. That's not really there as much for me. They're two and two. We feel like they're a they're a solid team in some areas, an inexperienced team in others, but Jonathan Taylor coming back 
isn't going to derail the season because there's not really a foundation of, oh, this is a contending team right now. Where it would derail the season for me or where I would think, are these two things related, is if Anthony Richardson starts to fall off. If, if certain things uh, mechanically within the team from like a, a focus standpoint start to fall off, then maybe I would point blame towards Jonathan Taylor. But honestly, if I see Jonathan Taylor practice, if he is in the active roster and plays this week or next week, whenever it happens, I believe we are at a business mode for Jonathan Taylor. I don't think he's doing it for the Colts, but I think he would be doing it for himself. Right. Because he feels like, and he's right, he really has no other choice. Yes, he could still get tagged at the end of the season. Maybe there's a weird world where he actually gets an extension from the Colts after all this ends, or maybe he gets traded. But either way, that all starts with him reminding the world he can still play the game at the level that he wants to be paid at. And the only way to do that is by playing for the Colts. Boy, that's the – and you're right. I mean, he, he – in the end, he might have really hurt himself. Yeah. Because, yes, he is going to get the opportunity to showcase what he can do, assuming the Colts put him out there. But they both know – the Colts know, like, look, we're, we're using you to get what we need out of you so that, like, it's a win-win for the Colts. Because the Colts are like, look, if you come out and you play at a high level because you want a big-time contract, we've already got you locked in. So we are the benefit of that. And if you're Jonathan Taylor, you're like, okay, the only way for me to actually go out and play to a level where I get a big-time contract is to produce and assist the group that I swore that I was not going to play for and that I was upset with. You know, that that's a... That's a gray area there, right? I mean, if you're him, you're, he, and so all he has done at this point really is hurt himself in terms of his ability to show what he can. Now, he may come out and be outstanding. I don't know, but he hadn't practiced or worked out and whatever yeah. else in forever. And I know that, yeah, we're, what are you talking about? Like, he's working out? Okay, look. I mean, Monte Ellis was working out. He's at Lifetime Fitness doing reps. Great. That doesn't mean he's ready for the NBA. Doesn't mean he's ready to go back. Lance Stevenson's been working out. He's ready to go. Uh, okay. I mean, he's, he's at the Planet Fitness of Manila. Great. That doesn't mean that he's ready to come out there and play in the NBA. I mean, it's just, it's different. You can't simulate getting that first hit and getting back up and being back with full physical content in the it, NFL right? and the speed of the game. Yeah. I will say, though, and this is probably the less intelligent way to look at it, but there is part of me that thinks which is why whenever we make our predictions to one Robin the Genie, I will be, if we do it today, siding in the camp that Jonathan Taylor actually winds up playing this week in some capacity, is, and again, this is the less intelligent way of looking at it, Jake, I understand, but you're the running back, here's the ball, go find the hole. Like, I know it's not that simple, but if he feels he's physically ready and the Colts feel like he's physically ready, it's not like he's having to be able to learn every checkout of different audibles and schemes that are trying to be fully resounded and understood by Anthony Richardson or by a quarterback or a wide receiver where he's got to run a complex route tree. Honestly, with Jonathan right. Taylor, the best thing for this offense, hand the ball off to him and let him go get 15. I know it's not that simple, but like... You're right. You're not... But, but you know, then the, look at look doubt now. It, a little bit different. There is a situation right now in the NFL that is forecasting potentially what Jonathan Taylor's facing. It's a lot same. It's a little bit different. I'll explain what I mean next. Jimmy, you play fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
fantasy football, correct? I do. So, Eddie, you play fantasy football? I do. Do you? I actually do have a like a just a public league that that I'm in. Um, just because I think it's a good way to it does two things, obviously. Kind of keeps you abreast of players all over the league. And then secondly, it occasionally further incentivizes why you would want to watch, you know, the Thursday night game between you know the the Saints and the Raiders. You're like, oh, well, I have so and so. Let me see if they have so many catches, whatever. So, but everybody, and, and you guys tell me, there is always a player that you draft on your fantasy team, or that you're. You, and there's nothing more tiring than fantasy football talk. I get, but there's a point here that when you draft a player and you're like, this guy's gonna have a big year. And then for whatever reason, you're like, what is going on? And they fell off a cliff, right? Yep. And when you drafted him, you thought like you kind of look like a G- – wow, I can't believe this guy's available in the sixth round. And then you figure out why that one guy was available in the sixth <laughs> round very quickly, right? Yes. You're like, holy cow. Yep. Now, I think Jonathan Taylor is obviously an elite talent. I mean, there's no disputing that. And he is also still a young guy. There's no disputing that. He has incredible speed. No disputing that. But he's a young guy who carried the ball an awful lot in college. Didn't seem to get, you know, affect him when he got to the pros. But those things do start to weigh in. He's got great speed. But he allegedly still has pain from whatever ankle issue was bothering him where he had the surgery. And there are other players that you look at and you go, that guy was a steal in fantasy football. And then all of a sudden you're like, what happened? Dalvin Cook, now granted he's 28 years old, but he was a darn good running back for Minnesota. One of the better in the league, right? When Minnesota released him, it was like, what? What in the world just happened? Dalvin Cook got released. Then the Jets signed him. Holy cow. Playing the parade. <laughs> they got Aaron Rodgers and Dalvin Cook. It's over. Crown him. He's going to run for 1,200 yards. Yep. Now, certainly there are factors that make this apples and oranges. Dalvin Cook, 28 years old. Dalvin Cook, new offense. New system. Dalvin Cook, main quarterback, hurt. Zach Wilson, Looks like Zach Morris more often than not, right? But Dalvin Cook right now, 74 yards on the year, two and a half yards per carry. And that was a back that like, holy cow, what a huge coup that was for the Jets because he was still thought to be in towards the end of his prime, but in his prime. Look at Ezekiel Elliott. A little bit different story because a lot of mileage on that. But when's I mean, what did Ezekiel what did Ezekiel Elliott do this weekend? What do you have like by fifteen yards? I now mean, there wasn't a ton of offense to be shown for whatsoever with I, the Patriots. I, I think but yes, we know that point. Jonathan yep. Taylor is not is a talent different than that and is a much younger back. But he's a much younger back who's had a pretty serious workload and is coming off injury. My point being, you just don't know. There's no guaranteed, proven assurity. That's not even a word. Uh, assuredness that he is going to 
come back and be the guy that was able to rip off an 80-yard run to secure the game against the Patriots. And that could he very may well, be. That could very well be true regardless if it's this week or three weeks from now. Correct. Okay. Robin the Genie has arrived. We need. We really need music for when Robin the Genie... Oh, well done. There we go. The CEO flexing. Robin the Genie is here. What does a genie sound like? No idea. Like Robin Williams. Yeah. Well, (laughs) so it's Mork from Ork? Yeah. Okay. Robin the Genie asks the question. You have to write it down on a sheet of paper right now. Robin the Genie is going to open up that sheet of paper on Monday, and if you wrote down the correct answer, you get $1 million. High stakes. Jimmy Cook. Does Jonathan Taylor play against the Tennessee Titans? Yes, Jonathan Taylor will play this Sunday against the Tennessee Titans. I feel like, at least from what we've seen from his camp, that he looks in shape, that he hasn't fully been taking the last couple of months off. I'm not saying he might not be on a pitch count, just like DeForest Buckner was last week, but I do think he plays in some capacity. Eddie Garrison, Robin the Genie would like to know your thoughts. No. Okay, then Robin the Genie has a second question for you for $250,000. Okay. $1.2 million now on the line. Will Jonathan Taylor be active against the Tennessee Titans? No. Ooh. Not active and so no media on time the for JT. List, right? Okay. He's still on that practice window, the 21 days, only two practices this week. I don't think he can get ready in time. I hereby declare that Robin the Genie most likely will be writing a check to one CEO Eduardo Garrison. I'm in agreement with you. I think he does not. I think he will be inactive. Partially just because there's a walkthrough today. There's no physical contact practice today. They still don't know where he is. If he suits up tomorrow and is in part of any physical contact in practice Does that change your mind? Not really. Okay. But he is suiting up for a team that is moving its way up the NFL power rankings. And the guy that comes up with those rankings joins us next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Eric Edholm from NFL.com going to join us here in literally less than a minute. But before we get to that, real quick, this just came across. It is official. Just got the email. Hello, Jake. And Lindsey Monroe from WTHR, the other one on this email. We are so excited to have both of you emceeing the famous Wiener Dog races this Saturday, October 7th for Oktoberfest. We have a sold-out race with 48 dogs. Dog racing begins at 1 p.m. and goes until 5 at 603 North New Jersey Street. Right there. Oh, that's where I would park, sorry, at the, the church. Uh, right in front of the Athenaeum downtown, the Raskeller. Wiener Dog Races, part of Oktoberfest. It literally, last year, I did it for the first time with Lindsay, and I was like, this is the most fun thing ever like to MC and be a part of it is so awesome we were part of it i'm not going to reference it but we're a part of a different wiener dog race i think because Riggs couldn't qualify for the big dance so we're at a different wiener dog race this weekend, Are you but really? that's awesome yeah yep okay yep 
Well, this is this the big race then? Am I? I would assume the, so. It sounds like I'm doing the, like the, the Saratoga of yeah. Winter Dog races. Yeah, forgot Oktoberfest okay. branding on it. It's got to be. I mean, it, proud, it is awesome though. As a proud Corgi owner, I'm I'm disappointed you're not doing the Corgi race instead. <laughs> well, I'm just telling you, the, some of the Wiener Dogs, by the way, uh, you know, it, it, it's like the power rankings, right? Yes. No matter what happens, there's always some Wiener Dog that everybody is like, "What in the hell? Like that Wiener Dog was supposed to be faster, supposed to be better. Why are they ranked where they are?" We could ask actually Eric Edholm exactly that, who learned his lesson last week he was so intimidated by coming on this program that he moved the Colts up the rankings despite a loss uh Eric you were a good sport about it last week man how are you I'm doing well. I, my my wiener dog ra- uh, rankings aren't out yet. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I gotta wait till I see the crop up in Milwaukee. We usually go to Oktoberfest every year. That's a big deal up there. I mean, I, I want to see the the talent first before I sort of slap a, a number on them. NFL teams, though, I can I can I can predict their future with hey, with 100 accuracy. Milwaukee, an awesome city, by the way. Yeah, one of my favorites. Um, yep. Okay, so I'll, I'll begin with this. You have the Indianapolis Colts ranked where? I believe I think I, I gave them a pretty good bump, two 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 or three spots after last week. I mean, it obviously it was a loss and not what you're you're hoping for, but some of that was a credit to them fighting out of, out of a 23 zip hole, and some of that was probably acknowledging that you know what I probably did have them a little too low last week. At least you know they probably should have started where they were at the very least where I have them this week. But yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, early in the season you're seeing. Like I jumped the, the Bucks ten spots this week, and I dropped the Patriots seven or whatever. I mean, you know, when you've only played three or four games, that sort of happens, right? One game can really kind of shift the team's season. So that's where I've got them. I'm sure it'll change by the end of the year, but uh, we'll see what uh, next week brings. Which team, to you, Eric? I'll give you. I mean, there's probably two of them, right? There's probably more than one, but but give me like the two that jump out when I explain this to you. Um, which two are the teams that are the greatest enigma still? You just don't know. If they go 6-11 and 11 on the year, you're going to look back yeah. and go, yeah, I could see that. But if they go 11-6, and six, you also could go, yeah, I can see that too. Those two would be yeah. which? I mean, I guess it's hard not to start with Cincinnati, although they're looking more bad than good. So, I mean, you know, if you made the case that they weren't a very good team, and we've already seen enough of that, I'd have a hard time coming up with a with a counter at this point. I mean, they just haven't seen. I mean, obviously they beat the Rams at home, but it was a narrow victory. It was a hard fought win. It didn't come easily. Last week knocked them back two pegs. So they're certainly one of them. The Cleveland Browns are another one, though. I mean, you know, last week again, it's like you really can't get mad at a club starting a rookie, a fifth round pick in, in DTR, uh, losing the way they did. And, and having it be some, you know, big indictment on their season. I don't think that's the way it works, right? But even with Deshaun Watson having played well the week before, I think they enter this bye with just real questions about, like, they need the guy. They have to win with him. But there's also this feeling that he's still kind of holding them back in some ways. And last week's disappointment of him not being able to play and – you know, it's just it's they're in a weird spot, so I don't really know what to make of that team right now. What are the Houston Texans? Like what what is their identity right now? Because I've been joking the last couple of weeks, Eric, that if they have actually turned a corner and are a competent franchise now, they could yeah. be very dangerous how good Stroud looks. They take care of business against Pittsburgh this past week after a nice handle victory over the Jaguars the week before against the Steelers defense many thought would finally quiet Stroud that didn't happen what is Houston 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, obviously, the, the week one at Baltimore, no one was shocked the way they lost or how the game went. I think it was, you know, just they obviously didn't have the ability to kind of punch the ball through and then defensively just trying to slow the, the Ravens' attack down a little bit, dealing with Lamar. But, you know, losing to the Colts week two, I think from their standpoint, they were not expected to be kind of thoroughly handled in that game. And I just, just talking to somebody with the team after that game, they were – really kind of surprised. They thought this was going to be a much more competitive team, and we've seen that borne out the last two weeks, obviously. I mean, the Jacksonville game, was there a little bit of a fluky element with a fullback, you know, kickoff return for a touchdown and, you know, some other plays like that? Sure, but last week was was the real deal, even if it's a Steelers team that has a lot of issues right now. I just thought that was a really complete uh, game. It did come in Houston, but the way they beat him in sort of thoroughly resounding victory, I thought was, was a, a great statement. So, yeah, I mean, Stroud's back there throwing with confidence, throwing with accuracy. He hasn't been perfect, but he's been darn good. They've spread the ball around uh, quite a bit. I think the offensive and defensive play calling have been really good. I mean, D'Amico Ryan's has got a more disciplined unit defensively now. Um, but really, I, you know, I just – I, I just marvel at Stroud and how, how good he's looked. I mean, he was my, by a small margin, by one spot, he was my, my top-ranked quarterback in this last draft. And I just felt like people were harping on the the poor test, you know, the, the, the they call it an intelligence test or a football IQ test or whatever, a processing speed test. Some of those things don't tell the whole story. And clearly he's he's been up to the challenge so far. Which is a truer statement, or which one is the one that is most likely to hold true, I guess, over the totality of the season? Um, you have number one in your power rankings, Eric. Which team right now? I have the San Francisco 49ers up okay. there in the top spot right now, yeah. so And you have, I'm assuming, and I looked at it earlier, but as you know, I mean, after a while the numbers jumble a little bit. Yeah. You have Chicago last, is that right? I do. I had, okay. I had no choice on that one, right? So so which team is more firmly rooted, you believe, to stay in that same neighborhood all season long? Well, yeah, it's – let's start with Thursday night's game because, I mean, if, if Matt Eberflus loses that game, and I know you guys know him and, and, you know, had history with him and stuff, and like there were some people who thought maybe this is a sneaky good hire at the time, but things have not gone right. Uh, they've won four games since he's been here and, and none since winning in New England last year. So 14 straight losses would be 15 after a loss Thursday if they, if they lose that one. I know this is a franchise and the Bears that have never fired a coach midseason, but there's been a lot of talk, especially – it's not just the losing, right? It's been other stuff, too. And uh, I just wonder, you know, have they lost the locker room, the Chase Claypool situation, the Allen Williams situation? There's other stuff kind of brewing, too, the, the field's awkwardness where he kind of threw the coaches under the mat. You know, I just feel like – it wouldn't completely shock me. I'm not reporting this. I'm just saying if you had to ask my opinion. So, you know, one of two things happens. You fire a coach and they stay in the basement or like we saw with, with Carolina and Matt Rule last year, the interim kind of lights a fire under the group. So it's it's hard to say, but I don't see a whole lot of avenues for them getting a lot better anytime soon. The 49ers obviously could lose this weekend to Dallas. I don't know if the NFC is stacked, but you have the only other undefeated team with Philly there. It's hard to stay on top. I would give the Bears, even though there's, it's ugly now, 
it's probably a better chance. They don't even have the worst point differential in the league. I think it's the Giants, if I'm not mistaken. So there's probably a better chance of them falling out of the 32nd spot than the, the 49ers remaining in the in the top spot all season. Eric Edholm, our guest, covers the NFL and has his weekly NFL power rankings on NFL.com. Eric, did we learn more about Miami or Buffalo in that AFC East showdown over the weekend? I'm going to say Buffalo, and I'll paint it this way. I kind of liken the Dolphins, and again, it's a small sample size. We don't really know this to be true, but my guess is that this could be like a pre-dynasty team or a pre-whopper you know, whopper of a team where they can beat almost anybody in the league, 90% of the teams, just with what they do offensively. But the team that they most need to beat right now is Buffalo. And it's not just because it's been a long losing streak, 10 out of 11 to, to them and seven up there in New York, but – I, I, they just they know that's the guy that's the team they have to get a, ahead of to win the division and it's not like they can't win a Super Bowl without getting the AFC East but it makes it a lot easier and you know if you have to go up to Buffalo in December if that's the tiebreaker or sorry January I should say you know I don't know if that's ideal for Miami they want to be sitting in the heat and cooking with their offense so you know they have to figure out over the next what six seven weeks or so till the rematch how do we beat the bills we were i don't think they just sort of put it in cruise control against everybody else but it sort of feels like the 49ers before they they overtook the cowboys in the 90s or the you know the chicago bills bulls with the detroit pistons or something like that where they're really, really good, but they still haven't cracked that one code they need to. You know, in college football, Eric, Eric Edholm's our guest. He is from NFL.com. He does his power rankings each week. In college football, you always get those teams, especially at this time of year, where you go, man, they look great. You know, Michigan looks great, but they haven't played anybody yet or, you know, whatever, yeah. right? They haven't been tested yet. Um, is there The NFL, it's hard to say because there is so much parity around the league, but if you had to look at it and say that's a team that has the highest potential to be fool's gold because quite frankly their schedule just has not been great it would be who that's a good question i'd have to sort of bear down a little bit on the on the the nuts and bolts of the record and stuff like that i mean you know we only have and maybe it's tampa bay i don't know i mean they they went out and beat the vikings week one they got handled at home by the eagles eagles should have won by more than they did and i think it was already a you know, a two-score difference, it was a 25-11 or something like that. Eagles bogged down in the red zone. They probably could have won that game 35-11 to easily. So they might be the one, but, you know, you go into New Orleans and take care of business, pretty clean game except for maybe the penalties and the one turnover before halftime. I mean, they – they, they played pretty well. I don't know if there's a dominant quality about this Bucks team. Pretty good on defense. Baker's sort of injected some life, but the run game's so-so. The offensive line's just okay. I don't know that it's a special team. That, that That's probably the one that sticks out to me, I guess. Do you want to know the thing to me that for years – publicly i've stated this but has most intrigued me about the buccaneers it befuddled me you know what most befuddles me eric about the buccaneers i do not uh they're the tampa bay buccaneers but the bay is the water the city is tampa right. so basically like they're named after just water right i mean like the, the area that they're that, that confuses me why wouldn't they just yeah. be the tampa buccaneers I know. I, I've said that for years. There used to be an old trivia question back when people did this sort of thing, but like it would say, what, what was the only pro sports team? I don't think it applies anymore, but what was the only pro sports team that has neither a city nor a state as its 
geographical foundation, the answer was the New England Patriots. But I always said, what about Tampa Bay? That's a body of water. Totally right? agree. Uh, you and I are on so, the same page here, right? I'm with you, man. I do feel do you. you find yourself, Eric, also being neurotically awake at night thinking about worthless crap? Oh, like night, day, it doesn't matter. (laughs) You guys could have a conversation about Dale Murphy, the band Genesis, uh, chess, all these weird things that I'm into, and I'd be able to probably do it just as well as this, and you'd lose all your listeners. What do you consider the signature song of Genesis? See, I'm I'm a little more of the old school song. I would say first or fifth, like one of their really obscure songs like that, or like the ones the hardcore fans but, know. But here's the thing, what... though. The signature song would be the one that, the, like, if you stop somebody on the street and you said, okay, you've yeah. got to pick one song and they have to know it from Genesis, and you, do, you have no idea if this person's ever listened to Genesis, so you just got to go with the song that is the most likely they know that Genesis okay. does it, it would be which? Maybe Land of Confusion. I think or that's one of those. probably it, right? That Invisible Touch? It. Visible Touch. Yeah, because it was also the name of the album. Correct. So, Correct. Yeah, that, that may be, you may be on it. Hey. You know him better than I do, right? Eric, let so me tell you something. Go. The Brazilian is an underrated cut off Invisible Touch. I think it's track four. Great song. One of the great late-era Genesis songs, absolutely. <laughs> Jimmy, anything you want to add? Yeah, Eric, last thing on my end, um, how much would a Jonathan Taylor return this week or next week impact the Colts in your power rankings? Fascinating to see, right? I mean, just how he folds back into the team after the awkwardness and the trade demand and everything else, and plus the injury. And, you know, I mean, he wasn't right last year. Everybody could see. And, I, you know, I love nothing more than to see him injected in this offense. Zach Moss can still keep a role. He's been pretty terrific for the most part. You know, is there a way to make it all work and make everybody happy? Let's hope for that. I think it could. But, yeah, they they got to be safe with him injury-wise. you got to be smart with him. Don't put too much on his plate right away. But, yeah, I would, I would make sure that he's good to go mentally and physically before I sort of lean on him as my workhorse again. Now, Eric, how old a guy are you? I'm 48 in December. So, okay. So this yeah. is right on the fringe of probably when you were watching Dale Murphy and the Braves. Yeah. But if you get this trivia question right, then I will forever allow you to rank the Colts wherever you like, and I will fight people on Monument Circle that come after Let's you go. for it. You ready? Yeah. Okay. For a two-year window in 1982 yep. and 1983, so we're talking right, I mean, on the fringe probably when you were watching baseball, Dale yep. Murphy hits a game-winning home run, Braves win a day game, and WTBS returns to the reg- regular scheduled programming oh. and it is a game show catered towards children and teens what game show was it my goodness wow i i i, I don't know i was prepared to say like one of those like black and what mr ed or one of those shows that's always <laughs> that, on there. that was also yeah. a possibility yeah that's yeah, right i uh, do not know that's a great poll from history i don't the, know the answer the correct answer in between a couple of kids beat updates from audra lee was starcade a popular and not so popular video game game show where no. kids would come out and take on each other like in frogger and cubert and people would watch it and then of course ted turner was like why would anyone watch other people playing video games this is the dumbest thing ever and they went back to mr ed so and think 40 years later what do my kids do when they get home they people play minecraft on youtube i know it's crazy right 
I, I don't get it, but maybe maybe Ted missed on a golden opportunity here with that. I, I have no idea. So Jane Fonda probably like had some say in it. Was like, what are we doing here? And Superstation TBS lost out on a future gold mine. Uh, oh Eric, God. appreciate the time as always, man, and we look forward to seeing the rankings each week on where a really good indicator is kind of where the trends in which teams are going. And on behalf of the city of Indianapolis, I guess thanks for moving the Colts up after a loss. <laughs> I'll try to keep finding ways to get them into the teens if I can. So uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Sounds good. Eric Edholm again from uh, NFL.com. Yeah, I was watching the other day. Uh, I was I was curious. I'm like, did I did I hallucinate Starcade? Did I Was that a dream I had? And so I went on YouTube and I found a couple episodes of Starcade. And one of them, they're like, the, 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 there's this dramatic scene in the beginning of it. And they show these, it's an arcade with little spotlights circling back and forth. And the announcer comes on and he's like, this is the arcade in, in Atlanta, Georgia, whatever. And today, two contestants will compete. And I think you're you're competing for like your very own Coleco. I feel like I'm there. Something, right? Yeah. And and they they show the the announcer comes out and the two contestants are playing and then the lights come on and the contestants turn around and it's like some 9-year-old girl from Connecticut and some like 38-year-old computer programmer from Arizona <laughs> and and I'm like does this guy think at all it's weird that he's competing against a girl that just got done playing shoots and ladders like what are, what are we doing here it was very awkward and and like this and the girl ends up beating him in the finals um, with a better Qbert or Donkey Kong score or whatever and she wins the ColecoVision crowd goes bonkers because why they're all nine right yeah and this guy I, I always and they ask him in the game show what is your goal like what is your career goal like they ask the girl like what do you want to be when you grow up they ask the 38 year old what's your career goal he's like I'm going to be a millionaire and I've always wanted, he probably is actually could yeah. be a good chance he's in computer programming I will uh, say that's basically sounds like the arcade game version of are you smarter than a fifth grader it's basically what I'm getting vibes from yeah now. that's I, I forgot about that show easy to forget <laughs> was it who was the host of that uh, Jeff Foxworthy that's right. That's exactly right. That was when he was going. He was in a phase there where you couldn't swing a dead cat and not hit yep. something Jeff Foxworth yes. was involved in. Yep. Right. Um, interesting from Eric. Kind of a mea culpa there, right? Of moving the Colts up a little bit, even though they they lost a game because I, didn't he say like you know I probably had them too low last time around. Now I think he's really bullish on Houston, maybe. But here's the thing: what have we been talking about? last week and the week before that in regards to why the Colts should make some noise this year. It's because they are the beneficiaries of an easier schedule than most teams. Right. Texans have that same thing. I'm not saying I'm fully bought in on them yet, but they have a fun quarterback. They have a quarterback that, like Anthony Richardson, and I would probably say, at least nationally, they're calling for Stroud over Richardson at this point for Rookie of the Year calls, but he's going to be in that conversation. I still... I'm not going to bet money that the Texans make the playoffs, but if the South is going to be ripe for the taking because the Jaguars refuse to seize it, suddenly Houston's in that conversation now. And it's because of A, the schedule they're going to play, and B, they have competency at the quarterback position for the first time in a number of years. Same thing that's going on here in Indianapolis, right? You feel like you have competency and the ability to grow at the quarterback position. Not to say that, like, yes, Rivers was competent, Wentz was competent at times. Like there, there were pockets of it. This is now a new look of okay, we're done putting on the band aid, and this is the rookie quarterback that's going to grow. And yes, he's going to make mistakes, but we're kind of fun again. 
Houston feels that way. Yes, they started 0-2. Yes, the Colts punched them in the mouth. And do I think they'd probably beat them again if they matched up together? Yes, I do. But that's the same conversation that is going on in Houston radio right now after they've won two straight, after they dismantled the Steelers and Stroud looked fully at his best against a Steelers defense many thought would shut him down. They're going to be in that conversation now. There is a, a history, Jimmy, of quarterbacks in the NFL that got out to starts where you're like, holy cow, this guy's going to have a Hall of Fame career. And then by the second season, teams have figured them out a little bit and it becomes harder for them. And they kind of come back. Rick Meyer comes to mind. You know, I mean, was right there with Drew, but like rookie of the year candidate. And then water finds its level. Baker Mayfield went through that and maybe he's getting a resurgence here, but people kind of figured him out and it was difficult then to adjust to that, right? I mean, you see with Deshaun Watson what happens when you take time off and you come back and and you're trying to to fit. I mean, the game changes constantly. And for C.J. Stroud, I'm curious to see whether or not this is a legitimate start or whether or not that yeah, water is going to find its level, we're right? Four games in, right? There's no clear answer that yes, Stroud is not going to stumble that he's not going to regress back that he might not even be a franchise quarterback some could make the same arguments potentially about Anthony Richardson I wouldn't but I would hear people out that wanted to make those claims because again it's only four games in their NFL career we're still very much in fool's gold territory thank you Eddie by the way breaking news real quick in the world of auto racing uh, this from Ramon Grosjean, former Formula One star, of course, who drove with Dale Coin Racing before then driving with Michael Andretti. He issued a statement just about five minutes ago on social media. Quote, I enjoyed working with the IndyCar team at Andretti Autosport and I'm proud of the success we shared throughout two seasons. I am thankful for the many friendships developed the highest level of American open-wheel racing. I had expected to continue racing with the fine people at Andretti Autosport in the coming years. I am disappointed that is not being fulfilled and wish Andretti Auto Team members well. I am pursuing other options to continue my IndyCar career in pursuit of excellence. I have commenced an arbitration proceeding in Indiana against Michael Andretti, seeking to protect my rights. I am represented by John Maley and Mark Owens of Barnes & Thorberg LLP, Roman Grosjean. So is that two lawsuits that we got going on in IndyCar? Alex Pillow and Roman Grosjean? Yeah, and the Pillow one is interesting, too, because with McLaren, who claimed that they have him under contract and they're suing him for $20 million, and that is correct. So, And they paid him, too, you right? Know, one of the things, I, I think they did pay him a retainer. I, I think one of the things that becomes a challenge, I don't know this, but, but I, it, there's precedent and it would make sense. I do think that sometimes when you start dealing with um, – this is going to come off the wrong way. I don't mean it to at all. But when you have drivers or representation that are from different nations, there are language barriers, there are custom challenges, and, and then just the understanding or the language of contracts, the nuances of contracts. Um, you know what the way a contract is written for the appeasement of a an ownership or a representation group in one place may not be exactly with an understanding of what it means in another place or what is upheld i mean there's just a million things that go on there but my understanding is the word at the end of the year was that ramon grosjean likely would end up going back to dale coin but it sounds like he thought he was going to still be with michael andretti uh, also we had mentioned chad buchanan going to be here at two o'clock might be a little bit earlier than that so uh we will 
possibly have him in about 20 minutes or so here in studio, general manager of the Pacers. So a lot to talk about, a lot going on on a gorgeous Sunsplash Wednesday. Thanks for being in the company with us. It's Quarry and Company here on 93.5-1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I meant, I buried the lead. I meant to point this out immediately. And I, I don't know if anybody even noticed it on, I mean, I would assume they did, on the YouTube page. You're on the wide shot now, so it's doubtful that thanks that to I those look very handsome today. Is that what it is? Huh? That I look very handsome today. Is that what it is? Yeah, I was on camera there at the start, so I'm assuming that's what it was. Y- your hair kind of looks like Beaver Cleaver. Thank you. Don't know who that is, but I'll take the, well, I hope hold, that's hold, a compliment. Hold on. You Can't who, help you. You don't know who Beaver Cleaver is? Can't help you. I do not know. Beaver and Wally? You ever heard of Eddie Haskell? Yes. How do you know Eddie Haskell? I know, I know the name. I've heard the name before. Lumpy Rutherford? Okay, now we're getting colder. Ward? Ward what, era, what, what, what year Joe are we Cleaver? in right now? What we're, year? Can, it can, sounds can, like can we're in like the 50s, ever, 60s. Yes, correct. Yes, you know. Leave it to Beaver. Yes. Oh, I've heard yes. of that. Yes, but, yes. Yeah. That's Beaver Cleaver. Oh, okay. okay. Beaver. There we go. We got there okay. in the end. Yeah. Um, at any rate, I, I have a Band-Aid on my neck. I could take it off, I guess, if I wanted to, but... You start gushing everywhere? Now, like so, a yeah, gusher? So here's the thing. I think I have, and this does not happen to me often, but I probably should have trusted the straight razor shave at 459 instead of shaving myself because I have, I think I have like an ingrown hair maybe, hmm. which is kind of an odd place for it. But at any rate, I nicked myself shaving, and I'm on blood thinners. So if you're on blood thinners and you nick yourself shaving, not great. It's like trying to, like literally, it's a scene from ER in about 20 seconds. Correct. <laughs> so it, it eventually kind of clotted itself, but it was not a pretty scene. So I put a bandaid over to cover it. So the bandaid probably looks ridiculous. I look like a seventh grader trying to cover a hickey, right? Somewhere around there, or but... Andrew Luck. <laughs> One of the two. Well, yes. knowing you, you probably have makeup, and you probably just I do have makeup. Thank See? you. Yeah, yeah you I probably do. cover it up with makeup. I used to have a Mac card. Uh, when I worked in television, you got a Mac card for, a, I think it was 30% off all Mac makeup products in the fashion mall. There you go. Thank you, Eddie. Yes, I do have Do you need to borrow, to borrow any? I do not, no. I have a natural glow. There it is. Okay. <laughs> have you ever, like when you, Jimmy, when you took your wedding photos, did they do any sort of makeup for you? I think a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, See? And then, little did you know, three years later, you're buying leather, right? There you go. <laughs> you didn't go to, like, Wilson's Leathers? Again, I cannot stress this enough. Haley was running late. So, for those that are just joining us, where have you been? Uh, yesterday was Jimmy's third wedding anniversary. Whoa, you so- outed the wife? What? It's fine. I'm not, it's not a real out. She texted me that she was running late. There's no out. We were on time for the reservation. Nobody got in trouble. But so, the point you went is- to dinner to celebrate your third wedding anniversary, and it is apparently a leather... I learned that from Todd Meyer. Did you have steak? I you did. You kill two birds with one stone I did have there. steak. Yeah. yeah, see? Yep. So you had the, the leather and the dinner, right? <laughs> yes. Good. But the intent was just to buy an anniversary gift for each of us. We each buy each other something at the fashion mall. Didn't necessarily have to tie into the traditional third year gift, but we both happened to buy shoes. So I thought Todd would appreciate that we did indeed live up to the third year tradition of leather. It was just sneakers. Um, and you got I'm not wearing them I thought about it but I didn't wear them got a pair of Air Force Ones you've never bought so Air Force Ones are which ones 
I mean, they're Air Force, like low top. I think I know which ones they are. So you're a Nike guy. Well, I was a Nike guy as a kid, and now I'm like I'm wearing Allbirds right now because they're super comfy. That's not like a brand name shoe from Nike or Adidas. That's its own company. Um, but there were which, which only color t- Air Force One did you get? Got a white and red pair. Oh, you got two pair. So, sorry, a white and red pair. The pair, the pair itself was white and red. White was a bad a red, sentence. White with a yeah. red stripe or yes. red swoosh. Yes. Okay. Yes. Eddie, you a Nike guy, Adidas guy, Puma guy? What are you? Uh, Nike and Adidas, primarily. Do you know what Adidas stands for? I do not. Jimmy, do you know what Adidas stands for? I've had this conversation before, but I don't remember. It does not stand for All Day I Dream About Sex, which is what you're told when you're a kid. It does not stand for All Day I Dream About Soccer either. But back in the day, there were two men. Yeah, those are cool. Those are cool. There were two men back in the day, um, the Dossler brothers. And the Dossler brothers went into business together, and they created an apparel corporation of athletic apparel. And after getting some success... They got the contract to build the athletic, or to, to build, not to build, to, to provide the athletic apparel for the German national teams. And then eventually that became for Nazi related athletes. And the two brothers had a major falling out over it because one of them thought that they should not stand up for that. The other one said, business is business. And so the one that said business is business broke off in, in, started kind of his own company under that umbrella and his name was Adidasler so he called the company uh, Adidas for Adidas of Adidasler his brother uh, basically said if I'm not mistaken I believe this part is correct his brother said well I'm going to come up with some sort of a company that shows like cat-like reflexes of reacting to this situation wow and branched off and started his own company called Puma he did indeed that's crazy I mean, the idea that you would have two brothers go their separate ways. Is it, is it crazier that you had to look it up on Wikipedia to verify it, or the fact that you were sitting right here next to the human Wikipedia and still looked it up? Both. No, yes. I'm kidding. That So that is correct, though, right? About yes. Puma, right? Yes. yes. Adolf and Rudolf Dossler. Oh, so Adolf, and Adolf was Adi Dossler, Yes, right? yeah. correct. Yep. So there you go. I, I've always liked Pumas, to be honest with you. I'm more in Pumas right now, as a matter of fact. I'm a big fan of Pumas. Have a great variation, though. Some of them are great. Some of them are not so great. Have you purchased a pair of Hoka's? Excellent uh, question, Eddie. I thought I had, and then I realized that it was some scam like link that I clicked on, and so I, I canceled <laughs> that payment and my and they reimbursed me. So I have not. Have you? No, I have Hey Dudes, but I have not purchased Hoka's. What, what are the first ones there? Hey Dudes. Hey dudes, I'm yeah, not, I'm not familiar with those. Are they are they like Hoka's? Uh, no, they're, they're, not, wh- they're like Sperry's, but they're a lot more okay, those, comfortable. I thought those were just called dudes. I didn't know they're called mm-hmm. Hey dudes. Mm-hmm. I know, uh, so how are those, by the way? They're very comfortable. How's I've, the arch support? I have good. the inserts from the Goodfeet store, so yeah. it's yeah, it doesn't matter. I can put my arch support yeah. in. I've got. I think I have four pair. Really? Mm-hmm. And they're not overly expensive, right? No. The Hoka's have the big sole that you kind of roll on, though. Is that is that challenging? You think? I don't people? know. I I don't have a pair, but have I would assume the, it is. Do you run? Not really, no. I should start. Do you run, Jimmy? No. Well, he runs after the dogs, right? I do run after the dogs. Well, so do you, don't you? Yes. So, Jonathan Taylor, you don't think is uh, Sunday, you don't think he's going to be running, Eddie. Jimmy, you do, right? I do think he's going to be running, yes. So, I, I'm, I'm basing it off of the fact that I don't think Jonathan Taylor has spent the last four months 
eating ding dongs and just I, I chilling on that. his couch. No, I get like, that. I, I think he's going to be ready to go from a physical fit standpoint. Will he be NFL fit? I mean, that'll be up to the coaching staff, the entire athletic trainers. There's also still, Jake, if we're putting the tinfoil hat back on, the conversation of was his ankle really hurt to the point that he couldn't play the first four weeks of the season, or was it a move made in concert with the Colts and Jonathan Taylor of, hey, we're just going to take a four-week pause on this and then resume in week five? Like, I, I don't know that his ankle was definitively hurt to the point that he could not have played. And we'll never find the answer out to that. But those factors, again, a little bit of tinfoil hat with that. I'm combining with the idea that if he gets two practices in Thursday, Friday, I think there's a chance he'd get cleared to the point that he takes some snaps. Okay. How about this from my friend Greg? Speaking of tinfoil hats, he even says at the end, I'll fold up my tinfoil hat and await your thoughts. <laughs> Could the Colts potentially be doing a walkthrough today and not practice just so Taylor can understand the audibles, play calling, and things that are a little bit different from last year, but need to be done at a slower speed versus a full speed practice? I don't know that the Colts would. I I like the question. I like the outside the box thinking, but I don't know that the Colts would sacrifice an entire practice or live action to accommodate one person. I took the tinfoil hat off yesterday because you had clarified to me as we had a discussion of why would you have a walkthrough? Well, they have played back-to-back overtime games. There's a lot of injuries on the roster. I understand it. It makes perfect sense to me that that is why they would do a walkthrough. To give everybody a day off while still preparing for the game, but not not a full-speed contact day. So, no, I don't think that's what's happening. Could it be happening during the course of the walkthrough? Sure. But I don't think that's the reason why it happened. Yeah, I I don't think he's going to go. I, I just don't. I mean, I, I, I understand the, the enthusiasm for it, but I think a big part of it, and you know what? One thing, Jimmy, that we haven't talked about, we haven't given enough credit here to Zach Moss, quite frankly. That's fair. You know, if... If right now the Colts' primary back is Dalvin Cook and he's getting two and a half yards per carry and has 74 total yards on the season, you're probably in a bigger hurry to get back Jonathan Taylor than you are right now with the way Zach Moss has played, right? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, particularly since you made an investment I mean, that, at that gives point. you the yeah. flexibility of a little more patience. You know, and like they... I, I just think that, that right now they're in a pretty good position at the running and again we have to keep reminding ourselves this I understand fans enthusiasm about the Colts trying to compete in a division that looks pretty balanced right now and it looks like they could be a part of that balance but at the same time it's like that's not really what this year should be about You know, this year should really be about finding out where you are and and who you can run with going forward and where you need to invest and setting yourself up for the Indiana-Kentucky series was announced yesterday, Mm -hmm. and that begins in what year, Eddie? It's the 2024-2025 season? 25-26 season. So that's like a year after when we should have a real good read on exactly the Colts' roster they're going with for a while yep you are you're you're basically still in inventory you ever work somewhere we had to do inventory yes oh it's just awful terrible but the colts right now nobody likes to go through inventory but you have to right 
And right now, the Colts are basically going through inventory. But, and this all comes down to Colts doctors and Jonathan Taylor. If he says he's ready and the Colts medicals say he's ready, you can still do both things. You're not necessarily just playing to win games because you're putting Jonathan Taylor out there. You're also evaluating what he still can do. Fair. Very good point. If you feel like that it would but be a But you dis- don't need to rush you don't doing need that, to. right? No, no. I'm not saying rush it for the sake of rushing it. I'm My prediction is based on the thought that they feel like he's ready. He's fine. His position is what he can warrant. It's not going to make a difference of another week's worth of practice versus a speed drill Thursday, Friday. Is the more safe bet that he probably does not play? Yes. But I think he's fit. I don't think he's been wasting away the summer and not taking care of his body. And that might be enough to split some carries with Zach Moss. I, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, that's an excellent point about he is one that you still need to evaluate. But there's also part of me that feels like they know where they're going to go, where they'd like to go with him, and he knows where he'd like for them to go with him. And quite frankly, that becomes the stalemate. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Chad Buchanan, who is the general manager of the Indiana Pacers, is going to join us here coming up at the top of the hour. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook is the president of the company. Eddie Garrison is the CEO. Uh, Wayne just sent me a message. Said, "Jake, do the right thing. Just start calling it Query and Cook." I, I talk into the microphones. I'm asked to talk into Jimmy. I don't disagree. But with you them, talk right? too much, Jake. You talk too much. <laughs> yeah. Yesterday, somebody <laughs> said that I talk too much. You know, the, the Jake. I, I like your talk radio program, but the one thing about your talk radio program that drives me crazy is you talk too much. Now, I, I, like I said, I mean, I can. I can tap dance up here, but it's radio, you right? Need, you need to rein in a bit. I think is what they're what they're asking for. Okay, here we go. See, see how elegant that is now. Are you happy, listeners? Now this makes for great radio, now doesn't it? Yes, top shelf radio. Awards are coming our way. This well, I, I, I'm convinced. someone let the Marconi's know. They're, most <laughs> of the most of the award sanctioning bodies don't even know a that I'm doing a radio show, but b that like who either of the three of us are, right? Like we're that 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 the, the you're the best is, of us. So if they don't know you, then we're out of luck. Well, hardly that. Eddie and I are burglars that it, just come in here every day. Literally, we're we're like Area 51 radio, right? Yeah. <laughs> like nobody really knows what's going on. Welcome to the Bermuda Triangle. A uh, lot to talk about with the Pacers. I'm looking forward to it with Chad Buchanan as we have discussed um, promising young roster and a lot of areas probably where they have a pretty good idea who they are, and then some areas where they're still trying to figure that out. And we will discuss exactly that. Dive further in to the blue and gold. We'll do it just uh, about seven minutes from now on the top of the hour when Chad Buchanan joins us here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. My name is Jake Query, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, the other members of the company here on Query and Company, on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan, and we kind of joke about our fictional boardroom, but we actually have a guy that works in a boardroom, essentially, for an NBA franchise joining us in studio in his seventh season now as the general manager of the Indiana Pacers, and he is Chad Buchanan. Chad, I have no idea why I'm, why I'm wearing headsets. That's out of habit. You're sitting right here next to me. Uh, but first off, uh, welcome to the studio, man. Thanks for coming in. Good to be here. I've never been over here before. Uh, it's very exciting. 
exciting, isn't it? It it's is. It's not as exciting as your job, obviously, which is underway because you guys had um, your first practice yesterday. Now, I assume, can you kind of take me through what that entails? I assume it's probably more just like a everybody wearing name tags and refamiliarizing yourself and maybe a slight walkthrough, or was it right out of the box? You know, our guys, have, most of our guys have been in town for the whole month of September working out together. It's voluntary workouts, but there's been, our gym has felt like the season had started about you know, the beginning of September, I would say. Yesterday, you got the jerseys on. Um, there's more people in the building watching. And there's a little more of a competitive juice in the building, I would say, because now it's like, okay, first game is in a week. Guys are playing for minutes. You know, guys are playing for role. Guys are trying to, you know, play for contracts. That, that That's really, you felt the intensity level start up yesterday with the competitiveness. So, uh, we'll get to the elephant in the room right out of the box, right? The contracts, you know, Buddy Heald is – I really like Buddy Heald. I, I don't pretend to be in the locker room. I, you know, I don't know that aspect of it. But I think he brings something to the table on the floor that is indisputable in his shooting. But my outside observation, Chad, and I want your opinion on this, is that you never know when you acquire a player how that guy's going to fit in. And it seems to me like with this roster – he has fit in perfectly in terms of being a guy that just kind of keeps everything. He's like Danny Rosa in Ted Lasso. Like he kind of keeps everybody loose and has that role. And as a result of that, his importance is even more magnified. But that puts you at a crossroads because he merits being extended. But there are other guys coming that are younger and underneath him. Where do things stand with him? I mean, there's so many positive things that Buddy brings to the table. You touched on several of them. I think one of the, the things that you didn't touch on is Buddy's durability and love of the game, love of being in the gym, uh, love of practicing. Everything about being an NBA player, Buddy just can't get enough of. And it sets a great example for our younger players when they see, here's a guy who's been in the league for a long time, and he's in there every afternoon shooting hundreds and hundreds of threes by himself doesn't want a rebounder just his it's we say it all the time he's he's addicted to basketball he's addicted to shooting specifically um and so there's so many good traits that he brings to our team like you hit on the head he fit in perfectly right away coach carlisle his system what he values uh, in shooting obviously he's one of the the greatest that we've seen this last decade um then you got to factor in the business of of our league and us trying to look long term and building a team that can be sustainable competitive and hopefully get to the point where we're an elite team in this league we've got to factor all that in and in working with you know buddy's agent you know we've talked through that of how the short term for for buddy and the long term for the pacers there's got to be a middle ground on that and we're continuing to talk i don't know if what will come of it but we want buddy on the team we want him here if we can find you know the right you know, situation for both sides, whether his role, you know, his minutes, you know, position, all that fits. And, you know, financially for us, it fits. We, we hope he's here a long yeah, time. Is it fair to say, because my, my thought on it, Chad, would be, I think Buddy Heald, so he is entering into his final year, right? Correct. So if you were to offer him a contract extension, it would be beyond this season. And I think there is still a critical role on the court probably for him for let's say three years but if you're extending him for a five-year deal do you front would you try to front load that money you know how does it work from a salary cap standpoint because i guess what i'm getting at is it seems to me and i want your opinion on this that buddy Heald's role 
in, say, year one or two of an extended contract would be as a third or fourth most important player for you. But with other players, Benedict Matherin, Walker, who you drafted, you know, some of the young guys that are on the roster, Andrew Nimhard, he then comes down to like maybe a six, seven, eight later in the years there and, and probably should be paid as such. So how do you navigate through that? Yeah, we're in a unique situation. We still have cap room uh, right now, which we're, you know, amongst the league, we have the most cap room left, uh, ironically, of anybody out there. So we have the ability to do you know, some creative ways of extending Buddy. And those are ideas that we've talked about with his agent. And I think you, you're correct as, as Buddy gets older, and he's not a, he's not old right now, but he's older relative to our team. Right. Um, but I think his game should age pretty well. He, he doesn't rely on athleticism and size and speed and quickness. I mean, he's he has an elite skill that should age well. But I do think some of the young guys in our system, we want to continue to evolve and grow them. And we're where Buddy fits into that probably evolves as well if he's with us long term. Have you actively made phone calls, including him? No, no, we, we're we're not trying to trade him. You know, if if teams call us on him, then obviously it's our job to listen if right. we feel that makes the team better. But we're have not they? actively trying to trade Buddy. There's teams that have called, but nothing of serious interest. Chad Buchanan is our guest. Nice to take some time with us. In today's NBA, what's harder to find in season in terms of transactions? Good defense or good shooting? That's a good question. Probably the defensive part is is tough to find because I think that the average coach is going to get attached to somebody that they feel can help stop some of the elite scores in our league. And so, the, so you'll find sometimes the one-dimensional players, not that Buddy's one-dimensional, but the shooting component sometimes there are guys that are sitting on the end of a bench. Um, you see there's examples of that all over the league. There are guys that are elite shooters, but they don't bring a lot else to the table, so they're stuck as the season evolves and teams are trying to win games and the defensive side of the ball becomes way, way more important. It's harder to pry away way somebody like that uh, prying away a two-way player a young two-way player is darn near impossible in our league right now so um but that is definitely a side of the ball that we, we want to see growth from this year you know we were talking earlier chad about i'm sure your favorite topic you know fantasy sports which makes everybody an expert right but in fantasy football i think and i'm saying this to put it in the terms that listeners can identify with right i think a lot of people when they build their fantasy football team they feel really good about their team and then they look at it and they go oh gosh i actually have seven wide receivers and only three running backs and i you know i need and you know whatever and you realize that you're too heavy in one area too light in another with your roster the area that you right now feel the indiana pacers are the richest is where and the area where truth be told you you still need some depth is where I think we are richest at the point guard position. I think we have three true point guards in Tyrese, Drew, and TJ that are, you know, it's hard to find a combination of three guys with that talent, that character. Um, I think the other position, the center position, we have some depth as well. And going back to the point guard spot, Bruce Brown can play some point guard as well. I think we have four really, really good players. One all-star, obviously, at that position. And then, you know, the the middle part of our roster, you know, the two, three, four, um, especially as you swing more to the three and the four, is where we have a lot more unknowns. We have some young players there that are trying to prove themselves. Um 
you know, we have some guys that played for us last year and Aaron Neesmith, Benedict, you know, even Jordan at the end of the year uh, that had some good moments for us, but they're still young players right. and we don't know where those guys' careers are going to go and they're still in a development mode and, you know, I think our coaches are trying to see what we can get out of those guys. So, <clears throat> and unfortunately, those are the most important positions in today's NBA as uh, you know the wing position the, the elite players in our league the majority of those guys are the you know the six seven six eight dominant ball handling playmaking players and that's where you know we got to see do we have one of those guys on our roster that number one can defend those players number two can be that type of player for us offensively as well so that's that's where you know, talk about the fantasy roster where we, we are unknown right now who's your most versatile player I think probably I would say Bruce Brown I think in watching him over the last, obviously seeing him in the league and seeing him play different positions and seeing him in our building with our team, even the last two days of practice, just his ability to do a lot of different things on both ends of the ball. Um, now he doesn't have tremendous size. He's not your six seven six eight wing, but he's got toughness. He's got smarts. He's got instincts making plays with the ball. He can shoot the ball. He can pass the ball. There's a lot of things he can do that I can see our coaches morphing him from a multiple different positions, offensively and defensively. The thing about... I mentioned this earlier. Chad Buchanan, who's the general manager of the Pacers, joins us here in studio. The NBA fascinates me for a lot of reasons. But one of them is, and I've said this a lot, you go to a game, you're watching, some guy checks in, you're like, man, I, I remember this guy's name. You look it up, oh, yeah, yeah, he was a one-and-done at Kentucky four years ago, whatever. 90%, I'm throwing out a number, 90% of players in the NBA are literally the greatest player in the history of their elementary school, middle school, high school, and for many of them, probably college. They've averaged 28 a game everywhere they've been. And now all of a sudden they're asked to be a wing defender and not much more, or a, you know, a spot shooter, whatever it might be. How do you know when you're building a roster how a guy is going to accept and mold to that transformation? Aaron Neesmith's a guy that I'm thinking of when I say this because he, he was a scorer. And then he gets to the league now, and, and scoring is like the fourth biggest responsibility he has when he's on the floor. How do you know that guys are going to buy into that? That's an awesome question. I, I think is it my first instinct when you ask that question is, number one, do they love basketball? If, if you love basketball, that means you just whether you are paid what our guys get paid or paid nothing to play it, you want to do it. You thirst it every day. And then the guys that really deep down want to win. Because if you want to win, you're going to do whatever it takes. And when you're in high school and college and junior high, like you mentioned, that meant I'm going to try and score 40 tonight instead of right. my 25. Well, no. Now you're in the NBA. What that means for you is you're going to take six shots a game instead of 16 that you had of your last you know, stop. And But that's going to help us win. If you're really driven to win, you're going to do whatever it takes. And whatever role it takes, whatever the coach asks you to do, whatever your teammates need you to do, you're going to do it. And so finding guys with that character trait, the love of the game and the desire to win, those are the guys that tend to accept a role. And you can always use, we use this all the time, when you're part of a winning team in the NBA, those are the guys who get rewarded. I mean, Bruce Brown is the perfect example. And Bruce you know, mentioned it to his teammates the other night. You know, When you win and you're part of a winning team, a championship team, you're going to get rewarded for it. And we rewarded Bruce for what he did and who we feel he can be for us. And I think players around the league, they see that. They see, hey, I don't need to average 30 points a game to get 
rewarded for it or recognized for it. And finding those guys that are just all about winning, those are the guys that, you know, will accept a role. Because if you're all about yourself and you're all about your stats and the first thing you do when you get in the locker room is where's where's the box score, those aren't the guys you're going to win with. You know, they're going to put up numbers and they're going to be, you know, some nights they're going to be fun to watch, but you're not going to win with those guys. I'm not going to ask you to say any names, but are there players on this roster that that still is a process that you haven't determined yet about them? I don't think so. I think, you know, this year will be a great determinant of that. You know, we have eight of our players are either in a contract year or an option year or something, you know, along those lines. So that's half your roster. Last year we had a, you know, a very happy team that was, you know, not playing for anything personally. It was all about the team and growth. And that'll be a new dynamic for us this year. And But I do think it'll test, guys, are you in it for the good of the team or is this about your future? And Because right. that naturally is going to happen. That happens. It's human nature. But can you put that to the side and focus in on being the best at the role that we're asking you to be in? And if you are and the team thrives, you'll get rewarded. And so that's that. this year will be a great test for, for, for a lot of our players. Pacers general manager Chad Buchanan is our guest. You mentioned rewarding Bruce Brown. You give him two years, $45 million, and it's one of the first stories that break on the day of NBA free agency when it opened up on NBA TV and on ESPN and ESPN.com. When did the scouts start on Bruce Brown and the idea that he could legitimately be a piece that you could add, and why were you so aggressive in terms of what he can do for the team when you went out and got him? I think watching Bruce back in Brooklyn. When he was in Brooklyn, he had a great playoff series against Milwaukee where he was playing almost the four spot. And I think that really our scouting staff, Ryan Carr, Vance Catlin, all of our scouts, really kind of saw a different side to Bruce, um, where you saw a versatility to to mold into something that maybe you didn't think he, he, could, he could could become. And so as we went through and we watched him, you know, he ends up in Denver, watch him be a big part of that team coming off the bench, obviously a huge piece to them winning a championship. I think that's when we... And you look at your needs, you know, what Bruce does, he brings a lot of versatility, he brings a lot of defense, he brings a lot of grit and toughness. And we had a team that was very offensive-minded, um, that struggled to defend, and he was a natural fit to what the team was lacking. And so when we you know, got into free agency, he was uh, the number one target for us um, for the basketball reasons. Age-wise, he fits the timeline of you know, a lot of our guys. And you know, he was looking for you know, a new opportunity, I think. And so we were a great match for him. Is the team option for cap flexibility? Or, or why the team option, I guess, in terms of that contract? Yeah, I think... You know, what we paid Bruce was probably above what the market was offering him. Um, But we also wanted to, I think it was a great, we have a great relationship with his agency. They said, hey, you maybe overpay him a little bit this year. Here, we'll give you, you know, an option the second year. And it's kind of a win-win for everybody. And it allows us to see how he fits this year. And, you know, I think Bruce is, you know, excited to be here. And it's a great situation for him financially and basketball-wise. You know, we, we talk a lot on this program, Chad. Chad Buchanan's our guest, the general manager of the Pacers, his seventh year in that role. We have, when you talk sports, I mean, half of our job is prognosticating, right? So to make it easier on ourselves and not put pressure on us, we created this fictional genie. Robin the genie, right? So Robin the genie can look into the future and can predict the future for people. If you were to meet Robin the genie in our ridiculous hypothetical, and he had the ability to have one player on your roster reach his absolute maximum that you want out of him for this season, which player would that be that would most benefit where you want to go and is the guy that is the most critical that he have a great year for you? Who? Um... 
Yeah, I mean, several guys come to mind. I think the one of the guys that first comes to mind for the future of this team to really blossom and hit, I would say the first name I, I think of is Benedict, um, because I think he, he number one, he's so uh, so young. He's so driven, so I think those two things are create the recipe for somebody to really blossom. But I think positionally is a need for us as well. You know, we need a a guy on the wing who has some size and athleticism, who can maybe play both sides of the ball at a high level. And I think we saw some glimpses of him offensively last year doing that. It wasn't you know start to finish. He went through you know what like all rookies do some ups and downs. If he can grow as a defender and continue to feel how Rick wants to play, how his teammates like to play. If that can hit, I think his upside is is immense. And if that were to happen, I think that could take our team to a whole nother level. And it may not happen this year. It may be two years from now, maybe four years from now. It may never happen. But he is probably the first guy when you ask that question that it, it comes to mind for It's me. a matter of him executing what it is or is it a matter of him legitimately learning what is necessary does that make sense yeah i think it's it's not the learning part he he studies the game i mean he our coaches work with him a lot i think sometimes it's you know he's he's a very confident kid and sometimes that confidence is great for him sometimes it gets in his way a little bit and trusting his teammates i think is something that he's got to continue to evolve with cuz he's very believes believes in himself and that's got to mesh with your teammates and i think he's learning how to do that that's the learning part of it is more kind of the fit than it is like the actual plays on the court and things like that so but i do think that he has an immense desire to be great you know in in the pacers history chad and in the great teams that have been through this city whether it be the reggie era whether it be the the team obviously that unfortunately was kind of decimated by the brawl but you know that that team with our test and then you know in Jermaine or the Paul George teams whatever it might be all of those teams had a guy on the roster that was kind of a Steven Adams enforcer type whether we're talking about Dale Davis or Jeff Foster or David West you know a guy that kind of set a tone that everybody else knew like if if there's going to be a problem you got to go through this guy this unit seems to me to have been lacking that. And I don't know that it's as important in today's NBA, but I thought Daniel Tice could be that guy. And then, you know, he didn't get a lot of reps, a lot of minute, minutes last year. Is that still a necessary role? And can he be that guy if it is? Last year we had uh, James Johnson, I think, filled that role for us in a certain degree of he gave guys a little bit of a swagger because um, James is a very tough tough-minded guy and he was kind of like the big brother that you felt like you could go pick on anybody at the playground with if he was there with right. you i mean that's yeah there's an element to that that's yeah. valuable right yeah and i do think that's important to a team to have that kind of belief and swagger i think it's going to have to be a collective effort this year you know i think daniel can be part of it i think miles can be part of that i think that's part of miles is miles has you know been in the league for a good amount of time now but i still think there's more growth to miles and i think that is a one piece of his growth growth that could come and I think Bruce Brown brings a lot of that as well Andrew Nemhard does that in a very quiet way and Aaron Neesmith is you know he's he's a pit bull now whether those guys are 
mature enough in their career where they've been, where they've invoked fear in another team, that's that's got to take a little more time, I think. Um, but that that is something that we'll have to see. Can it be a collective effort this year rather than one, one individual player? Which guy on your roster most likes to defend? You know, everybody talks about, ah, you know, I'm, every everybody, man. Every level you play, there's there's those guys that are like, no, I like playing defense. I like playing – bullcrap. You're saying that because the coach wants you to say that, right? <laughs> Which guys truly like playing defense? I think Miles does. I think Aaron Neesmith does. Those are the first two names. Andrew, Andrew Nemhart is a terrific defender, and he's um, – you know, last year proved he can guard a lot of different positions. But I'd say Miles and Aaron, those two guys both. Um, does that mean I have the wrong answer? <laughs> Miles Turner just chimed in. They told us this was going to happen at 2.30. Do we just wait this out? How long does this go? Do we know? Just you swipe can turn it. it off. Just swipe it. Swipe I'll the swipe alert. It. Oh, there we go. There you go. I thought that was going through the radio. I didn't realize that was all over our phone. Sorry. Um, Miles Turner clearly is like your rim protector, right? Um and you were talking about Andrew Nimhard is one that's interesting because Andrew Nimhard seems to me to be a guy that just goes out there and like you kind of don't know what he likes to do because he just does all of it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, is yep. that a fair statement? Yeah. And I, when we drafted Andrew, watching him at Gonzaga at Florida, you know, we saw a very steady player and very steady growth. And when we watched him, you know, leading up to the draft, he was always felt like he was the smartest guy on the floor. He just felt like he was never sweating anything. And he was just, the game came so easy to him. We thought, this is a really solid third third point guard type player for us. He gets in, you know, to workouts and summer league and training camp, and we're like, he just doesn't make any mistakes. And he can guard anybody you put out there, you know, in the, uh, from the backcourt position. He takes care of the ball. Um, he's unflappable. And our coaches just, instantly, everybody in the gym is like, this kid needs to play. And he's been impossible to keep off the floor since. And credit to him, he's continued to, to work on his shooting this summer. Coach Jenny Busick worked with him a bunch on his shooting. And I think that if that comes along at a high level, look out. Because I think he's got you know a really, really bright future. Pacers General Chad Buchanan joins us here on Query and Company. We've mentioned Aaron Neesmith a couple times, a guy that was you know, struggling to kind of find his role, his identity with the Celtics, and he comes here and he's able to find a home and find that role. Kind of a two-part question. Are the Pacers built from a culture standpoint to be able to – reclamation project might be the wrong word, but to be able to have players that maybe don't work out in one place and thrive here? And then secondly, is that what you hope to get out of Obi Toppin? Yeah, I think our coaches deserve all the credit for players that have come in here. Name back to even Coach you know, Nate McMillan. Um, you know, we've had guys that maybe were in a certain role with other teams that have come here and have thrived. And that's our, our coach, you know, our coaches taking advantage of maybe something that they weren't allowed to do in their, their previous stop. You know, Aaron's a guy, we talk about this a lot with our scouts. Aaron coming into the draft was a guy who was projected to more play like Buddy Heald. Uh, than he's turned out to be. Aaron was a guy who was running off a lot of screens, uh, high-volume shooter, score type at Vanderbilt, and he's evolved into, and it probably benefits from his time in in Boston with their kind of defensive you know, identity and being around Marcus Smart every day. Aaron was like, hey, I'm going to have to defend and be tough and rugged and mean and gritty if I want to get on the court for this team. And so he kind of flipped the switch a little bit on what he wanted to be about. And the shooting was still, you know, a big, big part of his game, but he's a, he's morphed into almost like a Marcus smart type mentality player, which is awesome for us. Cause that's what we need more of. And Obi is a guy that, 
you were hopeful that you know a new situation, a new playing style. Obviously, we New York has a, a great team that plays their, their way. We play different than them. Hoping that at least the offensive side, it's a good match. And you know, the defensive end is something. You know, the rebound and the defense is a weakness for us, and we got to see Obi develop with, with those two areas too. But hopeful that you know this is a great situation for him to thrive. The only non-internal Pacers question that I have for you: ripple effects obviously are felt after the Damian Lillard trade, him going to Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Did you guys have any contact or conversations about Drew Holiday after that? I mean, every team probably called on Drew Holiday. I mean, he's one of the best, if not the best, two-way guard right. in the league. Um, and it's just our job to ask, hey, what 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 is what's the situation? What are you looking for? Um, I think you could ask all 29 teams, sure. and they would give you the same answer I just did. He's there's a few guys in the league that when they you know they're available, you make the call. It's just part of your. Was Damian Lillard run them? Did you inquire? No, we did not inquire on Damian. I mean, you know, Damian is a guy that you know plays Tyrese's position. I, we didn't think that would probably match as well. We want to empower Tyrese as a, be our point cover of our future. Drew is a guy that can play on or off the ball. That's why he's a good um, defender too. He's a f- phenomenal defender. Did, did you actually? have a yin and yang of emotion because just when you like exhale that Drew Holiday is in the West and then all of a sudden he comes back to the East and to one of the contending teams. I mean, that's an impact, is it not? Sure. I mean, those two teams, Boston and Milwaukee, are look much more imposing. Not that they weren't before, but right. now they're they look clearly head and shoulders above everybody else in the East right now. And um, you know, part of our growth is not always comparing what other teams are doing. It's focusing on our guys getting better every day and what can we do to make our team stay on this climb. Um, the natural instinct is we want to try to put all in right now, and I think that's where you can make a mistake and sacrifice. You look at a team like Denver, and even we talk about Memphis and Cleveland have been very patient in how they've built their teams, and now they're in a position to have a, a good long runway of a very successful team, and that's where we want to get to. Um, you are a parent, right? I am. You have how many kids? Three. Okay, so three kids. So let's say that you and your wife are going to go on a vacation. You want to go for the weekend, get away, clear your head, um, and you've got to pick somebody on the roster to watch your kids. Who do you pick? Oh, boy. Um watch my kids I'd, I'd probably lean towards somebody that already has a kid so they know what they're getting into right. um i mean my kids would have a blast with buddy healed i know that so uh, that's what i was gonna the other the other part of the question would be which guy actually is the one that they would have so much fun because he'd be like making popcorn with them and staying up until 10 o'clock and watching movies and everything else. it'd be either buddy or jarris those two guys have such a fun loving spirit and they're just happy around everybody and I think I think my kids would, would love those two guys. How long does it take when you're going through the process? Like you talk about, and we haven't even discussed the draft picks, right? The two of them. So let's talk about the rookies that are here. In, in Jarris's situation, how long does it take for you to truly have an idea who a guy is when you're in the interview process? And is there a player from the past that you learned from because they Eddie Haskell'd you a little bit and, and you learned from it? That, that happens more than you might think. And that's a danger in the draft process when you're getting to know a, know a guy and you hear stuff from the, the coaches that have coached him or teammates that have played with them, and then you get to meet him and you're like, this is not what I expected. Um, you know, Jarris in particular, I think we had in mind that Jarris was this, you know, mean, nasty, like, you know, 
rough, like... I mean, he looks like it, Yeah, right? He's like a junkyard dog, yeah. right? Yeah. And then when you get to know him, he's this very, like, thoughtful, caring, like, social, like, wants to connect with everybody, good-natured, fun-loving kid who really knows how to play basketball. He's got a phenomenal feel, which when you have a feel, that accelerates how fast you develop. And, you know, the guys who maybe don't have a great basketball IQ, it takes them longer if they hit at all, whereas Jarrett just knows how to play. I mean, he's played... Guys that have played point guard at some point in their life inherently have a little bit different feel for the game, or they tend to. Well, you know, one, one thing about him... I. And I know that it's a sour taste in the mouth still for Indiana basketball fans, but if you play for Kelvin Sampson, you're going to have to want to play defense, right? Absolutely. How much that of that factored in? I mean, a, a big factor. I mean, like I go back to Bruce, you know, we needed to improve ourselves as a defensive team, and we wanted to take a guy with our pick that was going to get, that had upside, number one, but also we felt had the defensive chops to be, you know, whether it's early in his career or at some point in his career, it could be a guy who can guard the Jason Tatums, the Giannis is, you know, these these big like ball handling players that we don't have a guy on a roster that can match up with them. And now Jairus is not ready to do that today, but hopefully in time as he learns the league and develops more experience can be that for us. Lastly, Ben Shepard. Um, I think a lot of people were surprised, quite frankly, when he was drafted. I mean, you had the riches of a second pick in that round. Um, what about him most intrigued you? And, and is he a slower mold into the roster than say what we're going to see from last year from Benedict Mathurin or this year from Jarrett. Yeah, Ben is not the guy who's going to be he's not the sexy player. But when you watch him, we just watched him today, he's the guy that you don't want to be matched up against because he goes after every freaking rebound. He dives on the floor for loose balls. He makes quick decisions moving the ball and he's just this blur of energy. And that's what we saw, we thought we were getting in the draft process. And when you're picking the late first round, there's two ways to approach it. You can either take the highest upside guy that's probably got a 90% chance of failing, or you can take the guy you're like, I know this guy's good enough to make it. Like he, He's too smart to know you know, who he is as a player to not do that. And, you know, he's going to fit in because he understands. He can look in the mirror and say, I know what I do to survive in this league. And that's what we got from Ben. And so far, that's what we've seen so far. And he's capable of making shots, too. He's a great shooter in college, and he's shot it, he's shot it great today. He had a he, he phenomenal practice. College, he? he was. He was a very good defender. He's the guy, he's, he plays... At full effort all the time. You know what? There's Everybody plays pickup basketball, right? Everybody listening plays pickup basketball. And you go out there, and there's always some guy that's like dunking during the warm-ups and pickup ball, and you're like, that guy's good. And then when you start playing, it's always like the 40-year-old sweaty guy with hairy shoulders that starts checking you like as soon as the – and you're like, dude, I'm just trying to get exercise here. Is that who he is? Is that us now? <laughs> that's me. That's me, right? Well, I'm 50, so I, you know, I don't know about 40. But, but, you know, there's always that one guy that his motor just dr- – it completely throws you off. Yes. The, the, the best thing I could describe Ben Shepard is, I've heard this talk, uh, coach say this before, he plays every day like he's trying to make the team. And he's on the team. Obviously, he's a first-round pick, but he approaches every day, every workout. Like, I've got to prove myself again today. I've got to prove myself again tomorrow. And that elevates practice for everybody. Because as a veteran, if you want to, hey, I'm going to go 75% today, I can't do it. I got Ben Shepard running all over the place, going after every rebound right. and sprinting the lane every time and cutting off every, you know, every, every motion we run. So that and alone has value to our team. We've, we've seen it so far from him. Okay, last, uh, my last question overall. 
Last time I saw you, you had a watch on. I commented on it. I'm a watch guy. I think you said that Rick Carlisle had given it to you as a gift. I, I, I could be wrong. I think this is a different watch. Same one. It is the same the one. Same one. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say because I was like, man, like, do you have to wear the watch all the time? Because Rick Carlisle <laughs> gave it to you. Right? Ironically, it's it's a watch that if you don't wear it for a day or two, it stops. Yeah, and you got to reset it. Yeah, you got you got to. So wind it, yeah, I know Rick is always checking to make sure <laughs> you didn't wear my watch the last couple of days, did you? So I, I wear it every day. Well, now. it's a nice looking watch, right? It is a and, great watch. And who knows, Chad? Who knows? With the right amount of work, with Rick Carlisle, maybe in a couple of years you can add a ring to the jewelry collection. Uh, that's what. That is the ultimate goal. I dream about that every day. I think everybody in our building does. Well, I think the the city would certainly be happy for it, but we look forward to it. Setting uh, Washington, if I'm not mistaken, is the opener, right? Correct. you got a couple of weeks before you get to that, and then before you know it, uh, we are underway. So I appreciate the time. I know you're busy. Appreciate the time today and for uh, teaching me how to shut up my phone when the alarm went off. That was good stuff. Uh, Chad, appreciate it. Good Thanks luck. Thanks for having right. me, guys. Uh, Thanks, again, seventh year now. The general manager of the Indiana Pacers, Chad Buchanan, joins us. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll get back into what's taking place at West 56th as well, and recap that conversation here on Quarry Company, 93.5-1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Thanks to Chad Buchanan and the Pacers for that time, Mike Preston as well. I didn't realize when the I'll be honest. Again, my last name starts with the letter Q, so the QAnon people, you know, they think I'm in that club. So I, I get messages about this stuff, and that EAS thing's been predicted for like two years. It was some sort of a weird call that John Kennedy Jr. is coming back or something. I don't know. But I, I, I had heard that was happening today, but I didn't realize it was over the phone. Yeah. So when that happened, I thought it was overhead. I thought it was on the radio. I think it was everything, but it was especially the phone because it was a test of the wireless emergency alert system. I found out about this from a TikTok last night as I was trying to get to sleep, but it had said 220 in the messaging, and then ours happened at 218, and then all hell broke loose, you know? So glad we were able to get you to swipe left and get the alert yeah, off thanks for when you told me this i'm like what do i do here i was trying to turn it off i tried it first like an alarm i tried the silence that didn't work and then i just swiped and it went away so okay well we're I, clear. I, figured, I didn't know if jake you know, we're with, on the other side you know with your <laughs> with your ritzy iphone 22 i didn't know if i had the same capabilities right i mean that's a fair thought by you and i appreciate yeah. you taking that into consideration but no i think we're on a level playing field same software uh, by the way jerry asked me this on twitter jake are you saying you would rather have the colts evaluate the roster and keep building towards the future instead of trying to win now i i think yes no i'm not afraid to say it yes because they're not winning anything they're not winning anything this season if the choice is be a mediocre team that wins a mediocre division and loses in the playoffs early versus trying to build something around a quarterback that might be the next face of the franchise, yes, that's that's what I'm taking. Like, I get it. I understand the temporary happiness of being a fan. And I'm not mad when the Colts win, but if they go like 9-8 and eight and the Jaguars are bad and they win the South, yeah, I'll be a little upset unless they go and make it to the Super Bowl. And then you could tell me I was wrong and what a fool I am. But, but that's the difference with what the Colts are right now. Like, I get it, like playoff experience for a team. And, oh, a young locker room could really help a playoff appearance. It would help the growth. Okay, like I would accept all those things if it winds up happening. But if the choice is middling team that's going to have a worse draft pick, which would hamper your ability to build around Anthony Richardson or lose in the first round of the playoffs, I'm picking be bad one more year. I'm sorry. I would agree with that. I mean, what's the ceiling right this year for the Colts in terms of what they could do? I said... If I was being super glass half full, 
win the South, and I'm sorry, I feel like they'd lose their first-round playoff game because of who they would play. Now, those waters have been a bit murky right now because you don't know what Cincinnati is, but like if they drew... Let's say it's a 4-5, right? They're the worst division team. It's a 4-5 matchup, first round of the playoffs in Indianapolis. Even with everything I've said about Gus Bradley and this Colts defense, if they draw Miami, I'm sorry, I'm back in the Dolphins. So yeah, that, that's that's my ceiling for them this year, is maybe accidentally stumble into the AFC South and do something. But I will say, you can have your cake and eat it too, Jake, because the only reason I was really this passionate about this conversation was the idea of Minshew being the starting quarterback. If Anthony Richardson is your starting quarterback and getting all these reps, and he wins you these games, no, I'm not going to sit here and be mad that they made the playoffs. Right. Like I'm willing to make that what's trade. What's the reality of that playoff run, right? It's, it's, it, it's capped. It is capped where it can go this year with this team. There's better teams in the AFC than them. And I get it. There's this thought of, oh, well, maybe we'll be like the Giants of 2007 or 2012 and make a run in the wild card round. And like, yes, you can dream that way, but the odds of it happening are very slim. And that is the difference between diehard fans that have unreasonable expectations and the reality of where a franchise might be within their rebuild. The, the Colts themselves... Inside West 56th Street, yes, they want to win a Lombardi Trophy. Yes, they probably think they have a team that can make the playoffs. And for parts of it, I wouldn't fully argue. They have a defense that I would be more than comfortable uh, shaking a little bit after the performance in the first half to the Rams, but I'd be more than comfortable in playoff football depending on the matchup. But if my choice is, like you've always highlighted, Jake, being a 500 team that flirts with playoffs all year and then is hampering Chris Ballard and their ability of where they can draft versus Anthony Richardson growth and them being bad for one more season, I'm okay with that. And if that's a loser mentality, then so be it. But you say loser mentality, listener. I say short-sightedness for asking this team to go make a playoff run this year. It's an unreasonable expectation. The problem with making a playoff run, it, it it's a catch-22, I get it. But the problem, look, look at the Pacers. We just got done talking to Chad Buchanan, right? Yes. And when we're talking to Chad Buchanan about like the way that the young talent on the Pacer roster, the young talent on the Pacer roster is there because they finally were able, Benedict Matherin, Jairus Walker, they were able to go out and get players that they could turn they, they made the trade obviously but they have good young players because that's where they were they were able finally to draft them the problem the Pacers had forever is that they were making the playoffs as an eight seed and getting beat and then drafting 18th worst place you can be in sports right you're stuck in that that vat of suck right and I'm again I'm not advocating for losing on the part of the Colts. Like, yes, it's better for the city. It's better for everybody if they win. And quite frankly, if Anthony Richardson was to lead them to the playoffs in the, this year, that would be a big deal if it's because of Anthony Richardson. Because then you can point to it and, wow, and look at him and say, wow, this rookie quarterback who some were saying was never going to make it in the NFL because he only had 13 starts in college, he's led the Colts back to the postseason. Like, that would be a big deal. You win your first division title for the first time in nearly a decade. That would be a big deal. I'm not undermining those things. But if you're asking me, what do I feel like is better for the long-term health of the franchise? It is not winning an AFC South title that is basically, unless the Jaguars figure themselves out, an alternate year-over-year participation trophy just to lose by 30 in opening round of wildcard weekend. Are you fired up? I am. I like this. Right? Just drives me nuts. Like, I, I'm not 
it frustrates me also because people point to me and say, oh, well, you want the Colts to be bad. No, I don't want them to be bad. Quite frankly, a lot of my friends and family are Colts fans, and I feel bad for them that they are always yelling at me about how I have it so good rooting for a team that's a contender every year. Yeah, I get it. I didn't have that for the first half of my life, and I know that Colts fans are hungry to get back, but like, there's a difference between rooting for where this team can develop and rooting for them to fail. And there's also a chance, Jake, because of how bad the South might be yet again, that both could happen. The Colts could get their development out of Anthony Richardson and still host a playoff game, which would be big for the city and big for the fan base because they're tired of being apathetic. The fact, though, I will say that Colts fans are willing to push back against the idea of being bad one more year is a good sign for health of the franchise because it shows people care again. And that's something that I don't know that you're having that fight as genuinely as you were a year ago with another retread quarterback that was going to be out of the league in a year. Right, totally. I mean, that's the other thing, right? It's like the the NBA equivalent of getting the eight seed and getting bounced by Boston or you know Toronto or whatever is recycling old quarterbacks through and having them for a year or two and going ten and seven and then getting beat like in New England, right? Yeah. I mean, six to one, half dozen the other. No question about it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Today's plays of the day will start first in the MLB wildcard round. The Toronto Blue Jays stave off elimination. They went on the money line over the Minnesota Twins. The Texas Rangers bounce the Tampa Bay Rays. will take them on the money line in Tampa Bay. The Brewers stave off elimination over the Diamondbacks on the money line. And the Phillies take care of business against the Marlins. Move on the divisional round. That taking place at 8 o'clock this evening. Last one for you. I know Jake can't wait for this. Champions League is back. I'll take Man City on the money line. Over RB Leipzig. Eddie has no bets. That's all we have for today. Uh, by the way, on Query and Company, as we talked about, Eddie Garrison is the CEO. Jimmy Cook is the president. Uh, those of you listening are all part of the company, and we are grateful for that. We also have mentioned the one area, Eddie, that we have nobody that we have yet to fill is which? By uh, no HR department. Which is obvious because there's not only HR, but and we do have supposedly directors of security, but somehow Derek Schultz made it in here. Um. So I don't know. Did you clear that with someone? My heart is so full right now. I'm just so happy to be here again. I'm so glad that we're allowed to do this again. You ought to, you ought to see how happy your wife and kid are that you're out of the house. This is special. I mean, don't you think? Uh, this sure. is special. Does it have a different feel than the <laughs> weekly ISC now that it's it's live? Oh, right yeah. I, I mean, does it, it, does it? this has a special feel just because, like, We've actually not been in, physically in the same room together on a radio station since they fired us and they they gassed we us were out laid at, off, at a different we station. We were not fired. Yeah, we were okay. laid off. Reduction remember, in force, whatever they call I, it, I, they, they you, fire you. Do you remember That's when I called do. you and I go, "Hey, where are you?" And you said, "I'm in my office." I was on, and I, I was on 465. <laughs> and I said, "Well, we just got laid off." And you go, "No, no, 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 we didn't." I'm on. <laughs> On my way in, I said, well, you're not going to be there very long. You said, you said, I got fired, so that means you're fired. <laughs> no, I said, like, like we were just linked together, which, of course, ended up being true. But, yeah, I mean, it, it is a little bit weird to be back, but we see each other every week, so it's not like – and we're still best friends, Jake and I. Uh, okay. So it's, it's – Jimmy, to answer your question in a long-winded way, no, it's not – that's surreal. 
You guys have a group therapy session together, don't you? Well, Jimmy was complaining about the Yankees. It's called the New York Yankees. Not being in the postseason, but uh, we've had months to prepare for the reality yeah. inevitability that the Yankees weren't going to be in it. This is a very off-brand baseball playoffs, though. Like, if you stopped 100 people on the circle right now, I guess it would necessitate 100 people actually being on the circle, but let, let's just play pretend and ask them to name a Arizona Diamondback. How many people would be able to do it, you think? I, I said that earlier. One, maybe. I, yeah. Maybe, I, I think it would be Evan Longoria, right, just because he yeah. made a great play last night. I, I think I said it to you, Derek. I mean, how many people – half of the teams in the playoffs, right? I mean, how many people were at the Tampa game? Yeah, and that stadium's a disaster to get to. Don't get me wrong. Um, you but could have nineteen thousand stadium is pretty. Nineteen thousand is embarrassing. It's embarrassing bad. for a team that's been consistently yeah. really good. And you know, like my and cousin fun. lives there and gets totally into the Rays when they make the World Series. I mean, she likes them, but and I think the market does. But I and I don't think you can use the transplant excuse as much because the Lightning people go nuts yes. for the Lightning yeah. down there, and there are tons of people in the Northeast that grew up Rangers, Islanders, Devils, uh, Bruins, whatever else fans, and the Lightning still get. Now, a which ton hockey of team was yours? Uh, I was the Whalers. And then I was a. F- I'm the biggest front-running New York Rangers fan ever. So if the Rangers are relevant, I pretend <laughs> like I'm really into the Rangers. I start calling them blue shirts and answering texts from high school buddies and things like that. But you don't. No. What about the Devils? No, my my ex girlfriend Megan had season tickets Excuse to the me? Devils. Megan, who I met at IU, a guy from Connecticut who went to IU met a girl from Jersey at IU, and then they dated each other. What a story. There's a, there's a TV plot Derek, somewhere in there. Derek, Everyone is, hates the East Coast kids at IU. Is, and that's, This is I, how that's I, I know that you and I have worked together for too long a period of time. I've ne- I know that you're getting your lies can mixed up because I've never heard Megan mentioned. Yeah, Megan there was no. There was one girl that that you met on the internet and you stalked her and then you met her in a Hardy's yeah, parking Blond- lot. Blondie she, Gal eighty three. She drove off laughing at <laughs> yep. you, right? Okay. She went to Udell. She right. didn't go to IU. There was another girl that lived in Florida and you were driving back and you had rum in your car and they tossed your car and you almost got South Carolina <laughs> State Trooper. Yep. Yeah. Okay. T- tossed my no, car. That wasn't never heard of Megan, right? Yeah. There was another girl that you met and and I think maybe like you kissed her at a fraternity party and you fell in love with her and then you went depressed and listened to The Cure for a year and that a half. That was Anne from Arlington Heights, yeah, Illinois. Okay, yeah, yeah, really. I was in love with Anne. Right. And yeah. then there was Thanks Katie, for bringing that up. Then there was Katie Koleski who when her family <laughs> went on vacation you stalked and called her family answering machine on a regular basis I don't to think hear that's, her voice. I don't think that's weird to call somebody's answering machine just to check in. I don't think that's that weird. You knew they weren't there. Well, I would never have called while she was there. She might answer. I didn't want her to answer the phone because <laughs> I wouldn't know what to say. So, so why were you calling? Just to hear the voice. How many times did Perhaps you Perhaps he just so? called I, to I say don't wanna, I love like, you. Can we, like Jonathan Taylor, this is supposed to be crosstalk, right? This is a sports radio show? That's what you guys do here? Well, you company? started it. Okay. Are we supposed hey, to like go back and forth? We have a genie named Robin where we make predictions, and the genie tells us with a million-dollar prize on Monday if we were right. Okay. Uh, did Jonathan Taylor play on Sunday? No. All right. Not Sunday. He will come back and play. I think that was always going to be the conclusion. Here. Well, Ali Cox just said, we welcome him back with open arms. Yeah. I don't I don't think he'll play Sunday. Um, I'm not shut off to that idea. But if I was a betting man, I'd say no. I, I don't see, at, at this point, without a physical practice today, Derek, I don't see how he can, right? Yeah, yeah, you got some catching up to do. I mean, is he good enough he to just play? He hasn't played in 10 months. Play? He hasn't played since, remember, mid-December? That was when he got hurt. So, uh, re-hurt, I guess I should say. Yeah, I mean... It, there's a lot going on there, right? So yeah. you're going to talk about that for the next three hours, right? Yeah. Okay. Are, Have are fun you, with it. Are you sticking around? Are we going to do a, uh, I'd say that's unlikely. A little bit. Uh, we'll be back at it at noon tomorrow, by the way. Thanks for listening today. Derek, up next.